My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And, and this, this is, is Anamorphology. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The Underground. The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Second Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Mutation. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicion. Resistance. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Why are Tobias books so good? I don't know. They're so good. They're so I think good. it's because he's the most angsty bird boy and he's so lovable. But that's true. His, he's just, he's all over the place with his feelings. And that's why I love to read the Anwar's books. He's so thoughtful. He's so angsty. It's just wonderful. Also, I feel like because there are fewer books for him, like all of the good angst gets like concentrated. That's a good point. He's just so sweet and dumb. and i love him so much so this is not my favorite book but i think the chapter with his conversation with rachel was my favorite chapter of an animorphs book Mm, also i was like 13 and this was like peak romance oh yeah this This is like the the most romantic thing that ever happened yeah Yeah. i mean listen i'm decades older than that (laughs) and still with like butterflies (laughs) i just love them the other bit that stood out to me is his... I, I, so I feel like this is a redux. He's always having the same hawk versus human issue, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's like a little repetitive and there are some weird mm-hmm. things about this one. But the way that it, the conclusion where he reconciles it in this one about how turning back into being a human wouldn't actually be escape from the mm-hmm. challenges he's facing. I thought that's really well put. Yeah. I love the yeah. way that that comes through. Me too. And I loved the way he got inspiration from the story of his real father which we'll get into soon that's right okay should, should we hear what cue? happened i think that's your cue okay yeah so the here's a summary in 60 seconds uh tobias has an identity crisis and finds out who his father is oh. that was so much so many fewer seconds than 60 that was such a <laughs> lie we never lie about the summary length ted how dare um, you ruin our perfect record unfortunately that doesn't help the listeners know much about the details there so I can get into it a little more. Yes, please. Tobias, when this book starts, is having meadow issues. There's another red-tailed hawk encroaching on his territory. And Tobias is hungry whenever he tries to eat the cute bunnies that live in his meadow. Uh, when the other hawk isn't getting to them first, he's overwhelmed by his empathy for them. and has this like vision of being the bunny that startles him and means that his, his prey can escape. Uh, and he's just like really struggling with trying to be hawk enough to outhawk this other hawk and like take control of his territory so as a compromise he started eating roadkill which makes him feel really bad about himself and then he feels even worse because rachel sees him eating roadkill anyway that's just kind of setting the stage for how he's feeling when all this is going on and the plot kicks off when he learns from rachel that a lawyer for tobias's uh, family has been asking around about him at school and so He gets some more details about this. Why is somebody looking for him? You know, he's kind of been between families, you know, so he sort of expected that nobody would ever track him down. But uh, this lawyer apparently represents his quote unquote real father uh, and has an inheritance letter to read to Tobias at his next birthday. And coincidentally, a woman called Aria, who is his cousin recently returned from a safari in Africa, wants to potentially adopt Tobias because she's learned that he's not being cared for and so tobias is pretty sure that this is a this coincidence is too good to be true 
and it's some kind of trap. But, you know, he he doesn't want them to keep looking into him. So his plan is he's going to show up, deal with this lawyer, and, and figure out how to get the heat off of him. So, of course, he suspects it's a trap and decides to stalk Arya as she goes about her business uh, and discovers that she seems nice, like maybe too nice to be a, a controller. And specifically, she's nice to a captured hork kid uh, who's been taken in by a human at kind of a roadside zoo and mini golf course. So there's this whole other thing going on, which is that the free hork have been rescuing other hork and expanding from beyond the two that were rescued in 13. Their child, Toby the Seer, who we met in the hork Chronicles, is now the de facto leader of that group. But another hork child has wandered off and gone missing, uh, and then they discover by following Arya that the hork has been captured. So Arya, returning from Africa, is saying, hey, you shouldn't keep this creature in these poor conditions, you know, like being really sympathetic and... Tobias is like, why would anyone care how Hork, if it, why would a controller care about how a Hork is being treated? She, maybe she's okay. So the Animorphs decide that they're going to uh, rescue Beck, the Hork kid. They stage a rescue mission, but the Yurks are there too. Uh, the mission goes bad, and the Yurks manage to capture Beck, uh, and they have to find another way to rescue him. While they're coming up with that plan, Tobias has decided that he, you know, despite his better instincts, he thinks maybe this thing with Arya is going to work out. And if he becomes a human Nothlet again, uh, he can escape his troubles. And, and the fact that he has a family, he has somewhere to go, really makes a difference to him. Not only that, but Rachel finally admits to him that she really, really wants them to have a future together as more than just girl and bird. So before Tobias makes that decision, he realizes one last mission gotta rescue Beck. Uh, for some reason, instead of infesting Beck and learning about the hork Valley right away, the Yurks decide to use him as bait for the free hork who have been going on these rescue missions to liberate other hork They set him out as bait, and the Animorphs and the free hork are working together uh, stage a rescue operation. This one goes really well, but we don't get to see much of it because Tobias sees Arya from a distance at the Yurks secret facility during the mission and suddenly puts everything together that Arya is a morph, all of the signs add up, his cousin, his potential family is actually just Visser Three. Tobias goes into a spiral of self-loathing and does not participate in the battle at all. So they've rescued Beck, that's all good, but Tobias still has to deal with the fact that this this lawyer and this fake cousin who's Visser Three want to talk to him. If he just never shows up, he's worried that they'll pursue the lead, trace him to Jake, trace Jake to Marco and Rachel, trace Rachel to Cassie, and then all the Animorphs will be compromised. Uh, So the only way out is to sort of spring the trap and try and throw off their suspicion. So Tobias shows up uh, on his birthday. The lawyer's going to read this letter from his so-called real father, and Arya is there too. He learns pretty quickly that the lawyer is a controller because he's afraid of Arya in Morph, or he's afraid of Visser Three in Morph. But improbably, the father letter is real. It is actually a letter that Elfangor has written to his son Tobias, brought out of a pocket dimension or from the future <laughs> or the past. We don't know. We don't know the timing of this from Elfangor's perspective or the Elemis' perspective. But it's a real letter. Explains to Tobias that, hey, I'm your alien father, 
and I couldn't be there for you because of my cosmic duty. And Tobias is overcome with emotion. But thankfully, he's really bad at facial expressions, having been trapped as a hawk for so long. And he manages to not cry. And then after he has a chance to think about it for a second, he puts on this tough guy persona and is like, oh, so my father was some crazy guy who thinks he's an alien. Did I get any money? No? Okay, see ya. Uh, And his acting is good enough to throw Visser 3 off of the trail. After this encounter, Tobias doubles down on trying to be the kind of person his father would want him to be, having inherited some of this cosmic duty. Uh, And he also realizes that being human wouldn't actually make his life that much easier. So he flies as a bird to Rachel's house, and they have birthday cake together. Girl and bird. That was perfect. That was exactly 60 seconds. Much better. On average. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way to do it. I didn't even mention, like, he he, he deals with the meta thing. I guess that went without saying. Yeah, he gets over his issues. He He gets over it. Every time you say that, I think you're saying a meta thing, (laughs) which is different, you know. A meadow thing. I know where we should start. Hey, I got, like, maybe 50% of my prediction right. You got, like, all of your prediction right. It was so good. Uh, No, wait. Your prediction was that Lauren would come back. No, or was... I thought it was a Lauren family member. Oh. Which is not. And you said that the family member was a controller. So you totally called that. And I was just totally throwing you off by being like, ha ha, how could Tobias ever find out that Elvira was his father? (laughs) You were trolling me again, which is, like, a theme. But also, I'm really glad that you did because when we got to the end and I was like... It is Elfangor! And I was very delighted, and I loved the whole letter bit at the end. But yeah. I got so much of this right. I'm feeling very proud of myself. Thank yes, you. Yes, nicely done. This reinforces our theory, which people may or may not have heard yet, that you secretly read all the books as a child and have just been playing a long game with us. I'm just saying, I really would be getting many more of these correct. <laughs> you would be able to help yourself. Or at least closer. <laughs> well, okay, let's talk about the title then, because it's okay. one of the better Animorphs book titles, I think. It is a very good title. Liked it a lot. I mean, do you think it has more layers than Arya? Oh yeah, there are so many layers. Okay, tell right? me about the layers. Because so Tobias, he's morphing into a bunny on the cover, uh-huh, and good. at the end of the book, he decides he's going to pretend to be the mama bunny to take care of the little bunnies. Right? Okay. <laughs> Tobias, both he's a pretender, both at being a hawk and being a human. Mm-hmm. Right? He's trapped mm-hmm. in between. Um, That actually, I was thinking about this while you were doing the summary. We talk a lot about Tobias as a trans metaphor, which he is, and um, or at least can be read that way. I don't know that he was intentionally that in the books. And I was thinking how much he is sort of representing like internalized biphobia here, where he's very much like, I'm not enough of one thing or the other to be valid as either. He's like, I'm not enough human. I'm not enough hawk. And I was just like, oh, yeah, this this really resonates with me. It probably also resonates with, like, people who are non-binary, who feel like they don't have a gender, like, neither gender identity fits them. I can't speak as much to that personally, but he's just really great at the indirect representation. He is. And he isn't really pretending, but he feels like he is. The other sense in which he's pretending is... He has to pretend to be himself. That's like part of the plot. Is he has to pretend to be mm-hmm. tough kid, mm-hmm. street smart Tobias, right? Which is not who he is at all. <laughs> Which was also part of my prediction. Yeah, and then we both like because <laughs> I was like, time. why can't he? Why can't he pretend to be himself? Wait, <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for helping my prediction oh, get you're better. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> no, it's a really good title. I liked the different layers of it. Maybe just like Tobias really is human and hawk. Fister three really is. 
if not part of Tobias's family, at least a family friend. He is. <laughs> he is a close associate of Elphegor. He's Mr. like the Three. dedicated nemesis. He's a real piece of work. Can we go to that bit where he tries to say something nice about Elfangor at the end? Can we just oh, like touch on this briefly? Sure. Because I, I find it very upsetting. I have a lot of Visser 3 thoughts, so yeah. So Tobias has pulled off this amazing pretending, mm-hmm. and Arya slash Visser 3 is off the scent. And even so, Visser 3 decides to try and reach out to this human kid and say something mm-hmm. nice about Elfangor. So this is what uh, she says. Tobias, I... I knew your father. We were, shall we say, on the opposite sides of certain issues. But he was no fool. Suddenly Arya slash Visser 3 smiled. It was a faraway smile, like she slash he was remembering something <laughs> from long ago. Prince Elfangor Serenial Shamtul was no fool, and the galaxy will not soon see his like again. <laughs> and then later Tobias overhears them debriefing. Mm-hmm. Oh, him? He's street trash. A waste of a yerk. Elfangor would be ashamed. His son should be a warrior. A worthy adversary, not some young fool. A pity, really. Yeah. You ate him! <laughs> wow, that's that's really true. That is inescapably true. What? How have you romanticized this? Yeah. Post- Post-cannibalization. Post-meal. <laughs> I did think a little bit that that might have been, like, Aloran's memories mm-hmm. of him, not Mr. Three's. It do- that does not make any sense. That is not true. But that was a little bit my... I feel like it's the... You get this sort of perspective sometimes from, like, people are like, ah, oh, yes, the, like, being enemies is just as noble as fighting <laughs> alongside each other. and um, My noble and adversary. Well, that is... Maybe, you know, maybe valid. I don't know. I don't want to get, I don't want to evaluate that. But like, Visser 3 did morph into a huge monster and eat him. So it's hardly like, he doesn't seem to have much of a sense of like honor in battle in general. Right. Is it, so it's I pretty mean, surprising. Uh, is it like maybe his whole life is hollow now that Elfangor is dead? He like, he's the dog <laughs> who caught the car and he's like, oh no, it's Megamind. Know, and now he's, now he's looking back and he's like, you know, like, but that, that's just like, it's so terrible. No matter how you think about it. This, this is, like, is why Visitory has guy? been so like out there. This whole like Animorphs series is because he's missing his adversary. It's true. <laughs> sure. I did think he, in this book, the fact that Fizzer 3 managed to do such a good impersonation of, like, a normal human woman who cares about animals and stuff was, I don't know if it was out of character, but it was outside of the character of Fizzer 3 as I'd been thinking about him. And I went back to what Ted was saying about him, like, how maybe his characterization in Horpager Chronicles wasn't so off as we were thinking. Like, mm-hmm. maybe he has this side that is less of a chopping people head, people's heads off, like, blowhard, power-mad dictator. That's interesting. It, to me, this read as a different... Like, I felt what you were feeling in Hercule Chronicles in this book. Mm, now that you're saying yeah. that, maybe you could argue that, like, since Arya is operating, it's like a solo mission. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, maybe part of his insecurity is, like, about leading other people, and he yeah. has to be this, like, fear person. And so putting on the human form is, like... What if it's like when Axe morphs human and all of a sudden he can let his true self, his like silliness out. Visser 3 really just wants to be a nature photographer, but he feels the pressure of his Visser 3 persona. But when he's Arya, when he's alone, when he doesn't have to command anyone, 
he can finally just, you know, right. be a nerd the way he was deep down. Right. Yeah, it could also be, like, a sort of, like, I don't know, creepier thing, right? Tobias points out that he's, like, checking himself out in the mirror and, like, adjusting his hair and, like, taking care of his appearance. And then uh-huh. he was, like, ogling the delicate female Andalite form in hork Chronicles. Whoa. So this is, like, <laughs> a... I don't know if we know enough about Mr. Three to speculate about the. Like, he really just wants stuff, like but... a delicate, beautiful female body. Do we even know that like Visser Three is male? Well, we. I mean, we. Your maybe gender we could... is very confusing, right? I sort of feel like we should be using gender-neutral pronouns for all Yurks because we haven't gotten anything from them like we got from Axe saying, "But I am a male," right? Yeah, yeah. The, the Yurks don't seem to. They sometimes. Refer to they like they use pronouns to refer to each other and yeah. each other's hosts, right? Like the guy in book eight talks about his uh, dead Yurk friend as being a she, yeah. and it's could just as plausibly be the Yurk versus the host, right? Because right, he's mm-hmm. not talking about her in one specific host body, so right. it seems more plausible that that's like across right. her lifetime. But it, since yeah. the point when we realized there was the editing mistake in nineteen, where like <laughs> maybe after yeah. it went from being male to female is the last yeah. one to change, like. It makes me think that, I don't know. Yeah. I like using gender-neutral pronouns because also, as we've discussed before about Yerk biology, having a binary does not make any damn sense. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's okay to follow the book's lead in it, but like gender-neutral is also really valid. Another thing about Visitor 3 uh, that we do know for absolute certain is that they are a terrible leader. And as an example, one time, the leader of the entire invasion spent four days morphing in and out of being a human <laughs> to try and trap some kid that they, like, maybe thought might be a, an Andalite, but, like, had no proof for, just a hunch, and so spent a long time wandering around this beautiful city, going <laughs> to museums and taking pictures and coming up all the tourist attractions and not running the invasion. Who was in charge for four days? This seems to be a thing where the Yurks, like come up with these elaborate plans to capture the Andalite bandits and then do a terrible job following through. And, like, their strategic priorities are really maybe not the So, best. yeah, it's definitely some weird Visser 3 thing where they're like, oh, I'm going to... I've had this wild idea. It's Elfangor, like, the amazing Elfangor. Suddenly I, we have to put all of our resources into this. Forget everything. Oh, Cancel all the plans. I'm really diverting all the funds from Elfangor. our, like, yeah. you know... Ground Dracon beam weapons <laughs> emplacement. I, there must be tons of that going on behind the scenes. There must be something like that. But can you also imagine being the second in command to Visser Three? Like, I'm sorry, we're doing what now? Like, we have this whole. Oh no! With the, the second in command would never say that because they, they get their head cut thinking off. Thinking that they get their head cut off either way. <laughs> yes, Visser Three can tell that they're thinking that. No, but it really is impressive that Visser Three manages to be so cool about being in in Arya's persona for, like, an entire, like, few days. Mm-hmm. I really didn't think that they had it in them. I agree. It's also very odd because they are really trying to act as Arya, including, mm-hmm. as Ted mentioned earlier, saving the life of a young human child. How, how did how? they set that up? Do you think that little kid was a controller? It seems like kids can be controllers. Karen was, what, like, I don't know, seven-ish? Yeah. And this kid seemed like a toddler, so it seemed like the kid ran into traffic. That's not something you can just make a kid do. But if the kid had a yerkin, it's... Maybe. I don't know. It all seemed very unlikely. 
Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The other thing is that Arya is a morph, mm-hmm. right? So there's no woman's mind that can, like, coach Visser Three on being a human. Right. 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 So that actually makes it a lot more impressive. I don't think that really clicks yeah. for me until oh, right yeah, now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's not like Visser Three can just, like, mine Arya's mind for, like... Oh, how do you normally live your life? Right, 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 right. So, like, I mean, it's not maybe it's not as impressive as the Visser one pleasing Marco's dad thing, <laughs> right? Because no. you have the memories and stuff to go on, right? Yeah, and we don't see we don't see Visser three interacting with, and Visser three's other never people. been in a human host body that we know of. No, they. Well, is the, gets the at the beginning he gets is out limo of guy? There's like limo, limo guy in book six. No, well, okay. Is that also they've been a morph in a human or... morph? Right, right, right. Uh, I'm sure that's oh, a morph. Do you think Fizzer three is ever leaves their, their leaves body, right, right, right. except for being in the yerk pool, which, as we've discussed, is difficult. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but yeah, I, see what you mean. yeah. Fizzer three has never, you know, never had a human host, right? And so has never absorbed like human norms directly. Which would make yeah. this really, really challenging. And to give in to instincts that are very much against self-preservation, mm. right? I mean, he, so Visser Three in Arya, in Arya's body, kind of dives in front of and traffic. Visser Three is such a coward. It just seems very impossible to me. What yeah. if this is after the um, Hewlett Aldershot caper? Mm-hmm. Um, with the. <laughs> They've learned about... Visser 3 has learned about... I'm sorry. You mean the Hewlett Alder plot? Yes. Just checking. I'll, okay. I'll, I mean, no, we should leave it <laughs> After the Hewlett Alder plot, Visser 3 learns about the dangers of traffic because Chapman yeah. runs over <laughs> Hewlett Alder just really obsessed with that with now. his car. Yeah. And so that's been kind of kicking around in the old noggin. And they're like, okay, <laughs> this is the one thing that we can do. And so they've been practicing. I think oh. it, everyone involved must be controllers, and they've been practicing this. Yeah, the truck driver must be a controller. And Visto 3 was like, you hurt me at all. You and, you know, these 12 other people are dead. All right, I, fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's still it, really, really strains. It really strains believability. Yeah. And like, it, it seemed like Axe was really skeptical when it happened. Axe is like... Yes, she is not acting as a controller would. And Tobias, like, is sort of taken off and, like, in this whole fantasy of, like, oh, my gosh, she's actually really a human and I could do this. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like Axe was skeptical. But, like, how do you watch Arya diving into traffic to save a human child and assume that it's scripted? No, it's a good point. But I think that Axe is taking into account what he and Tobias have been seeing all day, yeah. which is this woman going in and out of her hotel room, bathroom, Every two hours. And Tobias does not pick up on the fact that that means she's definitely right. By that point. Immorph. But, but Axe knows that Tobias doesn't have his, like, time sense. You'd think Axe would be like, you know, it was every two hours. That's a little suspicious. Have we thought about Immorph? He's, like, a That's little too nice. Right. He's like how he was, oh, like, he didn't he tell, want to he didn't tell Rachel Tobias is dead in book 22. Right. Yeah. He says Tobias is missing. It and is so kind here, of in character. Right, yeah. he's maybe just like, unless Tobias asks me, maybe I don't say anything. This is a human affair. Or I just, like, I don't have to, like, I don't know for sure, and so I'm, I'm hiding behind that because I don't yeah. want to mess up. No, so Tobias don't. Helps. Because Tobias then beats himself up later for not having realized it, and his illusions are shattered, and he's very upset about it. And, it, and in fact, it takes him out of the action for the entire last yeah. battle sequence. Uh. So, bad decision, Axe. But also, hey, Axe, 
you only know one other being on this entire planet that can morph, maybe get your head out of your ass and like yeah. tell him about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a mistake. So there was one thing that Arya does that I think is like more in character for Visser 3, which mm-hmm. is when Tobias is watching her interact with the guy at like Frank Safari World uh-huh. or whatever it's called. They have little Beck, the hork in a cage, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to call it the Living Razor, like Freak Show, Freak Show. And Visser 3 Arya is like, you know, you could maybe say that it was like some kind of alien and people would believe <laughs> that, you, do you idiot. Th- do you think the goal is to get to get it known so that the free, like to use it as bait for the free Horkvajir slash the Andalite bandits? Yes, 100%. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but there's yeah, something it's in weird the... weird that Arya would suggest that this might be an alien. Right. And the, the sort of contemptuous way that I feel like Visser 3 is reveling a little bit in like, these humans are so stupid. Like, this is clearly an alien, and, you know, they don't know it. So I'm just going to, like, gift you this knowledge with, like, a big wink to myself. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Do you think Visser 3 speaks English? No. <laughs> Alloran does. Alloran is a translator. When you morph human, you... You're, you have the English instinct, right? Yes, English DNA. is instinctive. Yes, it's true. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it's uh, the same potential plot hole that we had with Axe, where well, it seems Alloran, like... Since Alloran's there, his brain chip probably can do the translation. Yeah, the but fly, we right? when Elsinor was a taxon, actual... taxon, he couldn't speak taxon. And so we're like, wait, how can Axe speak English when he's in human morph? Yeah. It's it's a thing we've called out before. It's not really distinct to it this. It doesn't really make sense. Yeah. And I think it didn't even, it, like, it didn't occur to me because I sort of assumed that Arya was a person <laughs> and not just a morph. But, yeah. I was thinking sense. about that thing where Arya's like, you would disseminate these photographs widely, publish them. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I did not know the word disseminate when I read these books for the first time, and so every time I hear the word disseminate, I think of that line. And I was just thinking, like, oh, um, Visser 3 is, like, having trouble, like, adjusting their vocabulary to be, like, human normal. And then I was like, wait, why does Visser 3 have an English vocabulary? All good questions. Uh, I would love to see Visser 3 struggling with the human morph as much as X does. Yeah. That would just be so funny. You think they would at least have after some this book? Trouble I doubt we it. ever get it. I don't remember if we ever do. I but don't it would know. be it would be so funny. I hope so. It would be <laughs> great. They didn't fall down once. Yeah, he seems to have adjusted to have the two coordination legs. involved with like diving towards a child and like rolling into the median strip. There must have been so many practices. Like it was a hologram. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> How much was a hologram? Was the truck a hologram? Yep, it was. That was a hologram. It was all the whole hologram. Thing. It was that a hologram. Whole and it was a really good hologram because it went up and around too because they were flying. Yeah, it was not just you know the circle. I don't know. Is your technology that good? Because Axe says it's embarrassing how big their like ground based dracon beam is. Well, you know, size isn't everything. Like, that's Axe's point. Um. Okay. Anything else to say about Mr. Three? As amusing as they are, we're really shortchanging no, the true yeah. heroes of this book. It's true. There's. I feel like the longer we do this podcast, the more they're, the more comfortable we get expounding on everything at great length. Here's a question: Why did Mr. Three even bother with Arya? What a great question! <laughs> it doesn't like the, all you needed was the lawyer. You already had the lawyer. Yeah. You just you see. Yeah. You see how no because Tobias reacts. he doesn't trust anyone besides himself. 
the uh-huh. he, he like this is already he could have I guess killed the controller and taken the persona of the lawyer, but I uh-huh. think Visser Three concocted this scheme and really wanted to do and it. Was like, how for can some I be involved? Inexplicable reason. He needs to be involved himself, and he loves the idea of wasting everybody's time walking around and visiting museums <laughs> in human morph. Right? Like that's the only thing that makes well, sense. Well, that's true. Like they're so obsessed with Elfengor that like. They have to concoct a big scheme because, like, otherwise it won't feel satisfying. And going around and, for and they days have to be personally involved. Can't thinking delegate. about how Elfingor's son might be watching me is like just the best thing for Visser Three. It's creepy. It is. It's creepy. I mean, the other thing, and maybe this is a good segue into our next conver- topic of conversation, but it also is some pretty severe psychological warfare on Tobias. Yeah. It really is. And oh, yeah. he's torturing Elfengor's son and maybe enjoying that a little bit. Yeah. Can we talk about the self-loathing? Let's please. It was really intense. Yeah. We see when um, when Tobias finally realizes what Arya is, mm-hmm. that Arya is Visser 3, like, uh, like we've said, they're in this battle and he just like can't fly anymore. He... He says, he's, fool, Tobias, fool. Every two hours, she went back to the bathroom at the hotel. Fool. And then he realizes that Arya was a morph. I felt sick. I could barely flap my wings. I couldn't think. I couldn't see. Everything was just spinning around me. I hadn't realized till that moment how much this hope had meant to me. A home, a family. Not for you, Tobias, you idiot, you fool. I hate you. I hate you. I want you to die. I couldn't fly. I landed hard and lay there in the dirt. I just kept saying it over and over in my head. I hate you, Tobias. I hate you. I want you to die. That's really intense. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And it, it's been building for a while, right? It jumped out to me in this book specifically. So he has this whole thing where it's him versus the other red-tailed mm-hmm, hawk. Mm-hmm. And he has a real chip on his shoulder about like being too weak to be a real predator and he, mm-hmm. he's, he keeps thinking, like, oh, I have to solve this myself. I have to be strong. I don't want the other Animorphs to help. I don't want them to see how weak I am. And that, like, you know, he's he's trying to be tough. And he's thinking, like, I used to be this wimpy kid, you know, that I got mm-hmm. picked on. I was a bully magnet. And so it's like he's he still hasn't gotten over that part of his life where he sees himself as, like, the victim. And he's, like, carrying mm-hmm. this weight on his shoulders and so it's all kind of right there below the surface yeah i mean he feels i think he feels unloved and unlovable and that that is something it is a trauma that he has been carrying with him and is unable to find a way through because he's in this situation where he's still trapped and stuck and kind of pushed outside of the group in pretty meaningful ways. It's just heartbreaking. And it seems like, Ted, you were talking about how his weakness as a human, his like bully magnet aspect was contributing to this. And I think his having to live as a predator is also part of it. He's having a lot of trouble with that. Like he, there's this passage earlier when he's in the meadow, he's trying to figure out what to do about this other hawk. He says, what a sickening life. What a disgusting creature I was. To live my life as a hawk, I had to fight another hawk. A bird fight. And over what? A rabbit? A few mice? I was going to fight that bird for the right to kill and eat rodents? Before, I'd had no choice. Now I did. I was choosing to live as a hawk, choosing to build a life around a scruffy meadow and the pitiful rodents in it. 
it's this weird, like, I'm not sure exactly where the disdain for his current life is coming from, except maybe from his general self-loathing. Right. And maybe it's a little bit that he being a predator is kind of like being a bully. Like he doesn't, Mm. he doesn't want to embrace that kind of kill or be killed survival of the fittest mentality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing that jumped out to me about what you just read is the way he talks about having a choice. Mm-hmm. Now that he has the ability to morph, right? So in, yeah. in 13, he got the ability to morph as part of the plot. He never really reflects on it because it ends with this, like, first time, surprise, I'm human, Rachel. Mm-hmm. And so here he's now been slowly facing the idea that, uh, like several of the other Animorphs, he now has an exit door, mm-hmm. right? He can, like, quit quit the fight. And so he's able to make the best of a bad situation because in his former life... He knew he didn't have any family. Nobody cared about him. And when mm-hmm. he's trapped as a hawk, he knows he's a hawk forever and there's nothing he can do about it. And he's so used to being able to make the best of being downtrodden, right? Mm-hmm. And so now he has both the ability to give up his hawkness and the ability to give up being without a family, right? Like when he, he lets himself believe that Arya mm-hmm. could be the kind of person he never had in his life. Not just someone who wants to cash in on his inheritance, but like... Someone who would dive in front of a truck to save a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he's like, he's allowing himself to be vulnerable. And mm-hmm. that makes it really easy for him to be crushed at the end. Yeah. And I feel like this thing where he's he's sort of disdaining himself for continuing to live as a hawk when he doesn't have to. I love how nuanced it is. Like there isn't a clear choice that he can just feel really great about like if he gave up the fight he would also not feel good about that if he's choosing to live as a hawk he he feels i think like he's making himself an outcast by doing that Mm -hmm. and so he's also getting down on himself about that there's like no choice that wouldn't involve him getting down on himself yeah and that's true not just of his choices for his future is he going to continue the fight and be a hawk is he going to become a human and be with Rachel, but also about his decisions in each of his different bodies. Like all the decisions that he makes, he picks the thing that put paints him in the worst light. So mm-hmm. at least that was sort of how I read it. So he doesn't eat the rabbit because he sees himself as a rabbit suddenly. Mm-hmm. And then he's saying, well, what kind of hawk am I that I, you know, have this empathy hawks wouldn't do this and now i'm stuck eating roadkill and like i'm like such a bad hawk yeah he's seeing the worst side of everything right yeah he can't it's like oh i'm too nice to eat but then i'm like he should be celebrating oh i can just eat roadkill that's great right like but he's (laughs) still he's seeing that he's not a good enough hawk even though he thinks that being a hawk and eating the rabbits is also bad Mm -hmm. like He's just, yeah, he is seeing the bad side of everything. Yeah, there's no way for him to win in any of the situations that he faces. I mean, the one I, that actually... Sorry, I was just going to say, I feel like he's dealing with a little bit of toxic avianity. <laughs> <laughs> the Go pressures on. that bird society puts on him to be tough what a good are point. really unfair. Yeah. Yes, it's true. I mean, and, and also, I think he has a very misplaced view. Now, I've never been a bird. So what do I know? Obviously, Tobias is really into this whole bird thing. So. Yeah. How dare you? <laughs> that was only last book, right? Oh, man. I'm sorry. But he has this whole thing about how he's trying to rescue Beck, and he gets mm-hmm. squirted with acid that almost yep. kills him. He 
drops the kid as you would when you're squirted with acid that almost kills you and like rolls into water and, and manages to survive. And then he spends several chapters beating himself up yeah. for having dropped back. And he says, I'd let pain distract me because I wasn't focused. The human in me had given too much weight to pain. A hawk knew better. A hawk didn't care about pain. Um, what? <laughs> that, just, that doesn't make any sense. Obviously, animals care about pain. It is how they tell that something is wrong. Yeah. My note here just, was, come on, Tobias. Tobias, buddy. <laughs> like, I understand that I know you're sad, and, and I and I get it. My note here was, the hell it doesn't. But, I mean, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't make any sense, and I think it is that kind of, the self-loathing that mm-hmm. is making him feel inadequate, no matter how reasonable his actions are. Yeah. Definitely. That's why Rachel is so important to him, right? Like, because here is someone who actually cares about him mm-hmm. in a legit way. Like, that's not something he's had before. Like, his family, there was never anyone like that. It seems like, you know, he says in this book, like, I was friends with Jake. But, like, what we get in book one is, like, we weren't really friends. I guess we were sort of a little bit friends from Jake's point of view. Mm-hmm. Like, he's never had this person who's just there for him. And, and he also has acts in this book, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And you see, get, you get to see both of them really supporting him and Tobias not letting them. Right? He's Aww. We've commended Tobias for being able to be emotionally vulnerable with the rest of his team in previous mm-hmm. books. But in this mm-hmm. book, he's he's struggling That's with that. trouble. Yeah. Well, there were a few... Like, moments that I feel like were really positive in the book, a lot of them had to do with Rachel. Like, there was the there was the really fun traffic chase sequence, and then the thing where he, like, grabs the strut of a helicopter, and it turns out he didn't even need to, but it was super awesome. And it's just, like, him sort of doing fun stunts with Rachel. And then there's also some really nice things where you're like, wow, he really, really trusts Rachel to be there for him. Like, he's going into the lawyer's office in Human Morph, and they have to be really careful who they position in the area because they're like, this is probably a trap. But they have Rachel in the laundromat next door, and her plan is, like, if if he screams, she is going to go into the bathroom, morph a grizzly, and go through the wall. And he's like, you know, I pitied anyone who was in the bathroom when Rachel needed it. And then he's right. like, I wasn't really scared. It's really comforting knowing you have an on-call grizzly. Right. It was just really nice. Yeah, so another there's there are a bunch of great moments of their dynamic. So when they first are going to Frank Safari Land and Putt Putt Golf, mm-hmm. um, first Rachel terrorizes a bald man so that they can sneak in. Um, <laughs> That's right. But then Rachel's kind of like, oh yeah, you know, let's not tell Cassie about this place because it's the kind of place that she'd want to come and shut down. But then as soon as Rachel sees how poorly the animals are being treated, she's like, you know what, let's tell her. She'll get Jake to go along with stomping this horrible place out of existence. I mean, I'm not exactly Miss Tree Hugging, Don't Eat Meat, Let Animals Vote, but come on, this sucks. And then later, she gets to bash in the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, right, later she's, like, super excited about it. When they come back to rescue Beck, Jake, Rachel, and Tobias are part of the initial strike team. And Rachel goes elephant, and she's going to knock out the back wall so they can, so Tobias can run in and rescue Beck. And Rachel's like, hey, um, did Jake say knock down one wall, or did he say knock down some walls? <laughs> Dripping with fake innocence. And then Tobias is like, okay, okay, you know perfectly well what Jake wants. On the other hand, it's dark. And Rachel laughed her slightly insane, ready for a fight laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's great. And there's a but. I mean, like, gung-ho Rachel is so delightful. How could so you not? Good. How could you not love her? So the last book we said was the best Rachel book, and uh-huh. I agree that it is the best 
book about Rachel's internal struggles. Uh-huh. But this is my favorite Rachel oh, book so far. There's that's just that's so legit. much of, like, Rachel yelled in that giddy way she gets whenever she's an inch away from utter disaster. <laughs> just... Oh, it's so good. I really liked the conversation they had. They're, like, surveilling this hotel. And uh, Rachel's like, you are the world champion of coping with weird situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, not always, Tobias says. Sometimes I just wimp out. What do you mean? And he says, let's crank it to the west a little more, catch this trailing breeze, and take a load off our wings. Ah, something you don't want to talk about. That's cool. Yeah. I just, and then a short time after that, he says, Rachel's blunt, but sensitive enough, too. And I was like, yes, that is what we saw in that conversation, where she's very straightforward, but straightforward about, like, oh, you're putting up a boundary there. I respect that. She's just going to say that right out loud. Right. And also, like, when he keeps waking her up in the middle of the night, like, constantly throughout this book, <laughs> and she's totally fine with that. She's there for him, but she's always complaining about it. <laughs> she's so... <laughs> and, like, he's like, he's like, um, you know, he, he wants to know a lot more details about Arya, and he's like, Arya... Is that like, isn't that a song they sing in the opera? And Rachel's like, what are you asking me for? Like, I don't know anything about her. I gave you all the information. Let's move on. And then he asks something else and she says, I didn't exactly cross-examine her, Rachel said snappishly. I laughed. Don't ask me why, but Rachel being cranky always makes me laugh. Yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> so good. Which is great because I had forgotten that by the time I got to the part where they're flying and she asks him to um, tell her about... It's right after the world champion of coping with weird situations. Mm-hmm. And she says, so give me the 411 already, she grumped. We have 10, 20 minutes of flying, and I forgot to bring a book to read. And I was like, I love grumpy Rachel. And so does Tobias. Like, we both <laughs> yeah. just think she's so charming and when she's grumpy. The um, Why does she bring up the sure I need a rabbit thing? Do either of you have that written down? Mm-hmm. I just remembering. Oh, um, he says Tobias is, like, super like, sensitive He about says something about, like, you know, mice, rats, rabbits, and she says rabbits, and he's like, look, don't get on my case with, like, Thumper from Bambi and, like, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, like, and just like, no, I need a rabbit. Like, people eat rabbits. Like, no, I just meant that sounded tastier than mice. Right. <laughs> they also have, when they're stalking Arya for the first time, um, Tobias is like, oh, I can't see through windows as well as you because of our, you know, mm-hmm. fun fact about mm-hmm. hawks versus eagles. And Rachel's like, oh, it's a good thing that you can't see because she's changing. And Tobias is like, do you mean she's morphing? <laughs> Rachel is like, no, you idiot. Just she changing says, clothes. She's morphing from a pair of sweatpants and a t-shirt into a dress. The dress is, oh, about three, four years out of date. And then she, like, gets on her case about the dress again later. Which, first of all, who the heck pays so much attention to fashion that they don't wear a dress, like, four years after they got 13-year-old it? 13-year-old girls. Not me. <laughs> Maybe 13-year-old girls. Four years ago, she was nine. It, like, didn't even exist. But also, I just love her being grumpy about the fashion. I also really loved that scene because he's... So he turns away, and Rachel's kind of chatting about what she's seeing through the window. Lots of camera equipment, nature photography, whatever. And he says, the glare is shifting. Is it safe for me to look? Rachel says, are you always this nice about being a peeping Tom? I am never a peeping Tom, I said sharply. I love him. And I softened my tone. I cannot use my superpowers for evil. Which... I love him so great. But also, yeah, I mean, what a great yeah. point. He could, and you know, go and spy on Rachel every night if he wanted we to. We just right. had that scene and with David maybe being in her bathroom, being like, go ahead and shower. And yeah. we just get such a contrast. Right. Absolutely. Also contrast with Marco, incidentally. Uh, yeah. Doesn't get brought out as much. I love Tobias so yeah. much. I loved the things that he had to say about how beautiful Rachel is. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> We'll do you the good stuff them? first. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I 
Really liked the, uh, I liked the bit where, so she's morphing into an eagle. Rachel is a beautiful girl. She's beautiful in that way you know will last her whole life. She'll be a beautiful woman. But beauty alone isn't that big a thing. What makes Rachel, Rachel is what's inside. And watching her morph to eagle was like seeing her soul emerge through her flesh. Which is, yeah, quite a statement. I I liked the, Rachel would be beautiful in the middle of mudslides and hailstorms. On a sweet, Mm -hmm. sunny day, she made my heart ache. Let me just find the other bit about turning into an eagle. Sorry, I can't find it in my notes. There's another thing about, like, sometimes it seemed to me that this body suited her better than her own. Right. So I love all the inner beauty stuff. That's great. But he's, like, weirdly defensive about some things here. He says, was she more beautiful to me because she was a bird now? No, of course not. For one thing, eagles and hawks (laughs) don't mate. For another, her eagle morph is male. Right, that's the problem, (laughs) Tobias. Good point. I, I felt like that was the author's being like, oh, wait, crap. Are people going to think he's attracted to her because she's a bird now? <laughs> I felt like that was more to, like, ward off our potentially incorrect assumptions, especially as children who maybe don't understand that birds are different species. Yeah, I just, I mean, just for me personally, the, like, soul emerging from flesh thing was, like, a little overwrought. And just morphing <laughs> to me is so gross. And even the description of it is gross that, like... Him kind of ogling her while she does it and talking about her inner beauty. Like, that's great, Tobias. I'm glad you can see that. But it kind of rubs me the wrong way. He does say later he has a whole thing about the um, her morphing the elephant is not quite as beautiful mm, yes. as her morphing that the That was eagle. quite the so, morph description. Yeah, I want to I read that. Please. Uh, yeah, but I actually, before I read it, it's actually great. The Animorphs never describe each other morphing, right? So this Mm. book has two instances where he's talking about what it's like to watch someone else morph, like, in a lot of detail, Mm. right? Which I really love to see. Yeah, he's like, it's not so good. For one thing, there's the way she grows, in sudden lumps of flesh that pop out of her thighs, her stomach, even her head. It is disturbing to see a lump of gray flesh the size of a refrigerator bulge out of the side of someone's head. She lumped and bumped and glooped her way from being a (laughs) normal-sized girl to being a shapeless behemoth. Her legs became pillars. So did her arms. Her elephant feet sank into the damp soil. She was grinning at me when her white teeth seemed to flow together and then sprout out and out like a spear coming at me. They curved up to a point, a pair of tusks. Her nose began to hang down like it was running, then like it was melting. Then it began to thicken and darken and grow. Of course, by then, the beach blanket-sized ears were already formed. Delightful. (laughs) Do you know what's great is immediately after that, I, I would like to read the uh, a couple paragraphs later. He says, all this time I had started morphing as well. So he's just described her in great detail. And he says, what I think about morphing, it's strange morphing anything. I mean, no matter what you become, it is a nightmare. <laughs> just imagine watching your own flesh squirm and melt and wither, shrink or swell. Imagine hearing your own internal organs go watery and squish away. Imagine having body parts you've never had before and a brain that knows how to use them. Gross. Sounds kind of cool. And then he's, he's, he's morphing into a Herkbajir at this point for their, for their mission. And then Rachel's like, you know, aren't we a cute looking couple? Let's go to the dance. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So there's this, um, to get more into the, the, the sad side of their relationship. So there's this scene where they're all hanging out in the barn and, uh, Marco and Rachel are teasing each other, and Rachel says, Before we became Animorphs, your entire day consisted of figuring out which girl to annoy next. Which, accurate, based on everything we've seen of Marco, completely accurate. Marco grinned, and now I always know which girl to annoy next. He put his arm around Rachel and laid his head on her shoulder. She laughed and shoved him away. It was just a dumb little routine, but I felt a flash of jealousy. There are little intimacies that most humans can have that I can't. I can't shake hands or hug or lay my head on anyone's shoulder. 
That's so true. Yeah. It's also a good call out of what Ted said in our last episode about how Marco and Rachel have a subroutine going. Yes. Oh yeah. They're so it's so clear <laughs> that they are more friends than enemies at this point. Oh yeah. No. This is this is like a thing that they both enjoy. Since since you brought that up, the other one that jumped out to me was when they intentionally get themselves trapped so that they can um, rescue mm, back the mm-hmm. second time around and Marco is the only one in a bug morph that can see, so he's narrating <laughs> kind of right. like what's going on. And they're in a cage, and they're like, okay, how strong are the bars? And Marco's like, well, strong enough to hold Hork Bajir in a how cage. How strong would you make them? Yeah. And Marco's like, so we need to unlock the lock. And Rachel's like, wow, Marco, with a brain like that, maybe you could be our seer. You know, like the Hork Bajir have seers <laughs> yep, that are smarter than yep. everyone. And Marco's like, haha, you got me. It's great. Rachel's always looking for, for an in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really enjoyable. I, I, I enjoy that kind of banter, especially in text. To go back to what you were saying about Tobias feeling like, you know, he's like left out because of these basic mm-hmm. human interactions, right? Yeah. It's also so great that that's what saves him and all of the Animorphs in this book. So right? true. It's this, we've, even when Tobias was first back as a human in book seven, when the Alamist was like tempting them, mm-hmm. um, we had this thing where he like flaps his arms to get away from Rachel. And so that whole final scene where he learns about his father is just like that turned up to a hundred. Like this is, this is one of the big standout moments in the Animorphs series for me. Mm-hmm. It's just like his realizing how devastating all of this stuff is and then not being able to show it and express yeah. it and how that it's like, I just love that that thing that is hurting him so much day to day is yeah. also something that works to his benefit in this, in this book. The way there's a chapter that ends. I had forgotten how to use facial expressions. I was used to being a hawk and not a human. It saved my life. Yeah. That's right before you get that scene. With the yeah, hawk. and then at the end, he like walks away, putting on this tough kid persona, and then he's like, "And I decided I was gonna morph human just so that I could cry." Yeah, yeah. See, I wanted to cry. I wanted to cry a lot for a long time, and hawks don't cry. Mm. It's really Ted. You talked about this a little bit. But it's really great the way he ends up embracing both sides of himself. It's like the epitome of the thing we've talked about that these books do, where it's like always seeing both sides of the situation and sort of embracing both. And this is very like deliberately that. Uh, One of the things I say about this that I wanted to bring up was it occurred to me for the first time that what I thought was so unique about me, that I was half instinctive predator and half human being, wasn't so unique after all. Every human, Jake, Rachel, Marco, Cassie, all humans, kind of lives on that edge between savage and saint. And I really loved that. I mean, I think that's a perfect description. It goes back to the prey-predator thing that he'd been talking about. What it most reminded me of was actually a line from Terry Pratchett, because everything Mm -hmm. reminds me of a line from Terry Pratchett. Um, But at some point, he describes humans as we, we need stories to tell ourselves to be human, to be the place where the falling angel meets the rising ape. Mm, mm-hmm. I think that's exactly where Tobias is. Yeah. And it's the themes that we've been... T- like, it's the predator-prey thing, but it's also the larger themes of, like, how far into savagery do you go to defeat the savage? Like, the Animorphs have this whole long discussion of, like, about ruthlessness. They have it with the Free Horkajir, who we haven't talked about a lot, but it's, you know... They push, you push back. And Cassie's kind of arguing, okay, but you can't always do that. And Tobias has this, like, long thought process about, like, okay, yeah, 
sometimes you have to do that and sometimes you don't. Like sometimes you cannot do that. And the tricky thing is figuring out which to do and you can't come up with a hard and fast rule. And it's sort of like what Jake and Cassie were both saying at the end of book 19 um, when she was trapped as the, as the caterpillar. Jake's like, yeah, I guess you oftentimes you have to do like the sane, reasonable thing. But like sometimes you have to do the really hopeful, implausible thing. And yeah, you never get a hard and fast rule. You have to keep both sides. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. The, the hawk versus human thing is a false choice. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah. a real choice that he can make, but being human won't solve his. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Problems. Yeah. He can't, he can't just become one thing where there's one way to act. That's not a real way to exist in the world. And, and he goes on to say, you know, I guess the trick is to figure out when to do which thing, when to fight, when to let up balancing act and even if i went back to being fully human in body and mind that balancing act wouldn't go away maybe realizing that should have made me feel bad but it didn't it just made me feel human mm-hmm. and then that's before this big end battle and one of the things i liked about that particular arc is it really distinguished between tobias's two concerns in the book Mm -hmm. one is the the predator prey am i a human am i a hawk his Mm -hmm. his ongoing struggle between those two sides of who he is but then the other thing that happens is then in the fight he sees aria he realizes that he doesn't have a family and falls apart as we've discussed yeah and that's a completely separate thing for him yeah because he's already resolved the like oh human is like a big enough umbrella that it will like encompass everything that I am and I can still be human even with this hawk part of me and then the Arya thing hits and he realizes that he's not he doesn't have a home he doesn't have someone who loves him the way he thought and it still breaks him even though he's kind of resolved a little bit his his balancing act at least for this book yeah and I think that's a really interesting distinction because in my head up until that point up until the point where he falls apart in the battle, I had actually kind of considered them the same thing. Like, mm-hmm, the reason that he mm-hmm. wants to be more human than he is is so that he can have a family. He can mm-hmm. be part of something that and not be on his own and not be an outsider anymore. And actually, those are two different internal struggles yeah, for him. No, that's, that's really true. That's a great observation. And I love the thing I've said before that these books do where... They don't just say, like, all right, this is our one theme for the book. Or, like, this yeah. is the one struggle this character is going through. Yeah. Like, he's struggling with not being loved, with not fitting in, with not knowing exactly who he is. And they're related struggles, but they're also not the same. You can't just resolve one and then resolve everything in that one stroke. Yeah, so this chapter, chapter 22, is really, really a lot. Well, so what do we get of the Rachel and Tobias romance before this chapter? Do we want to build up to it in this book? Sure, go for it. I mean, the way Tobias thinks about her is a lot less... I feel like he's a lot less open about the way he feels about her or, like, their status. He sort of is like, oh, yeah, sometimes I go over and help her with homework (laughs) or hang out with her. And it's not quite as much like in 13 where he's like, oh, we're like Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) This time she's the one who makes that (laughs) reference, right? Spoilers. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And there's that little bit of being jealous of Marco. Yeah. He has Rachel. the thought, he's like, I, you know, he's like, I go over and sometimes I do her homework. I don't know. I guess it helps me feel connected to my previous life. 
Can I really quickly jump in on that quotation very fast? Yeah. You do not. You do not go over to help her with your homework. Do you know how I know that? She won an award for being a really good student. (laughs) She doesn't need your help. You can go do the same homework next to her because you like doing that. It gives you sense of being a kid, but you're not doing her homework. Okay, you know what? She's also fighting a war against the Yerks. Maybe some nights she just needs to not do algebra. So is he. (laughs) He just, he wants to do algebra to feel connected to his human self. And he should and can. (laughs) He's just not doing her homework. She doesn't need his help. And rant. Okay. <laughs> I just got, like, momentarily annoyed at, like, she yeah. doesn't need it. I don't think that's exactly... I, I think you might... You might be reacting strongly <laughs> to something. I don't know that he was really saying. But but also, you know, your feelings are valid. Thank you. I appreciate that. Go on. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there's not much. There's the... Rachel's like, let's go to the dance line. Well, there's... He thinks about her a lot in, like... Because we don't usually get a lot of them talking about their romance, mm-hmm. but we get a lot of like him, like seeing her in the sunlight and being struck by how she looks, and him talking about how she's beautiful, but like he feels like the eagle bodies her even better because you know she's not some glossy magazine cover girl. She's like strong and smart and fierce and all these things, which is maybe a problematic dichotomy. But <laughs> now that I say it out loud like that, but yeah, he shows up at her bedroom and says that uh and this is he's just decided he's yeah. gonna be human well he hasn't decided he's gonna be human he's decided that aria is for real and that this is a possibility he's like at least he's not presenting her with the decision as if he's decided because okay yeah no i'm, I'm yeah. sorry yeah misread. she's saying like you know this this could be great she's family and he's like yeah that'll be great like i'm your cousin tobias over here the bird and she's like you don't have to be and He's sort of playing dumb, and she's like, you could be human again, you could have a family, and he says, I don't need someone to take care of me. Should we just read the whole thing? I'm just... Go for it. <laughs> I, I think we're eventually going to one way or the other, so they might as well Do we want to do a dramatic again. reading of it, because it's long? Uh, no, just read it. I'll read it? Okay. Uh, I don't need someone to take care of me, I bristled. Rachel jumped up suddenly. Tobias, don't play dumb. You know what I mean. You think I don't know that you're going hungry. I can look at you and see it. Something is wrong lately. I mean, I saw you... Never mind. My heart was in my throat. What? I almost screamed. You saw me what? Eat that that roadkill? How's that any different than what you do, or any human? You go to the supermarket and buy beef or pork or chicken that's been dead for weeks. I don't care that you ate roadkill. Stop being an idiot. I care about you. And when I see you doing that, I know things are going wrong for you. But you're off in your own little hawk world and no one is allowed to help you. You'd rather starve than ask for help. You can't ever admit that your life may suck because then you'll feel weak. I'm a hawk, I snapped. A bird of prey. When we're weak, we die. That's the law for us. I'm not a human being. Not anymore. No one helps a hawk. A hawk lives by his eyes and wings and talons. You're a hawk, Rachel sneered. You talk, Tobias. You read. You have emotions. Those are human things, not hawk things. I know, I know. Don't you think I know? That's why I'm going hungry, because I'm not hawk enough. That's why I let Beck get away, because I was human enough to care more about my pain and fear than I cared about doing what I had to do. That's just stupid, Rachel said angrily. She's right. (laughs) She is correct. It doesn't even make sense. You know what? You have to make a choice, Tobias. You can be a hawk. But you will never, ever, not in a million years, be a pure, true hawk. If you want to stay a hawk, you'll be like you are now, confused, conflicted, torn up inside, never knowing what you really are. Or, or you can be human again, all human. You can live with the Arya woman and eat at the table and sleep in a bed. And never fly, I said. Never fly again, never see with hawk's eyes, never morph again. I know you guys would all be nice to me, but I'd lose all of you. I'd lose being an anamorph. You wouldn't lose me, Rachel said. For a long while, neither of us spoke. Then Rachel, in a whisper, said, What am I supposed to do, Tobias? I'm a girl. You're a bird. 
This is way past Romeo and Juliet, Montagues and Capulets. This isn't Kate Winslet and Leo DiCaprio coming from different social groups or whatever. It's not like you're black and I'm white like Cassie and Jake. No one but a moron cares about that. We are... We can't hold hands, Tobias. We can't dance. We can't go to a movie together. My God, Rachel, don't you think I know all that? Don't you think I want to have all that? But I can't keep changing. I can't keep becoming something different. One more change, Tobias. Back to human. You'd be free of the stupid war and free of all the danger of living as a hawk. I wouldn't have to worry about you anymore. I couldn't take anymore. I just couldn't. It was too much. I felt like I'd explode if I didn't get away from her. I couldn't be that near to her. Couldn't. I turned and prepared to fly. Tobias, it's tomorrow, by the way, your birthday. I had Marco hack into the school records. It's tomorrow you have to see the lawyer on Aria. Whatever happens, whatever you decide, come see me afterward, okay? Maybe we can have a cake with a candle. I spread my wings and flew away. Yes, that was oh. important to read. <laughs> Love it so yeah. much. I know. I so, legit have a notebook from eighth grade where I copied that entire passage out in code for some reason. Oh, <laughs> oh. of course you did. Yes, of course I did. I do love this chapter. It's amazing. There's so much in it. So to me, this is, it's so good coming after the last Rachel book yeah. where she's yep. she's dealing with, oh my gosh, like I knew I liked Tobias, but she has that moment where she thinks now that he might be dead, I didn't even realize how much I cared. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like for Rachel to, to say like, I want you to be human again. Even though your, like, noble sacrifice is, like, my anchor in this fight as much as anything else. Like, I want you to be human again for me so that we can have a thing that's just about us and not about the Animorphs. That's, like, really stepping out a lot further into a vulnerable place than we've ever seen Rachel go before. And it's really, really sweet. And it's also, I feel like it's super in character. Like, she had this realization in 22, and then, I mean, there was this David thing. But she had this important realization, and so... She acts on it, like in the next yeah. book. Oh, yeah. She's like, I'm going to tell you about this. It's also yeah. really protective, right? One of the yeah. things she says is, if, if you're not a hawk, I wouldn't have to worry about you anymore. It's like one more person she wouldn't have to worry about protecting all the time. Like this person that she worries about like the most. Mm-hmm. It is very protective because she's not thinking about the fight and how Tobias really should be there in the fight for all of them and for the world. Like she is thinking about Tobias. I also love that she still doesn't make it all about her. She's very mm-hmm. like, but it's your choice, right? Like she yeah. respects that in the same way that she respects, like, this is a thing you don't want to talk about earlier. Whatever um, you decide, come see me after. We'll have cake. Right. And also like, it's all, it's all in his head and she kind of knows it. Like she's like, I don't care about roadkill. Like that's a stupid thing to care yeah. about. Like all these, all these ideas that you have in your head don't make any sense. Like, she just, you just, yeah, need, she just knocks them Yeah, back. you need like, to tell me dumb. about them so that's I can stupid. dismiss them. Like, just give me, give me all your angst and I'll, I'll kick it away. Yeah. I can fight it. It feels like the things that he's rebutting her with are like, it's not that they're not true, but they, it feels like he doesn't have the whole picture and he's not really presenting the whole picture. Like, he's like, and never fly, never fight again. Like, that's valid. Then he's like, I can't keep changing. I can't become, keep becoming something different. And I don't know how much that's just him feeling like he needs to hold off that decision somehow and not, like, just agree with what she's saying and how much that's, like, really a thing. Yeah. Well, it's true that it's not she can't solve his problem just as much as he needs the realization of, like, oh, being a human isn't going to be a cure-all for the things that I'm trying to deal with. Mm -hmm. Um, 
he also needs that message from dad being like yeah. you are of the noble lineage of people who <laughs> save the universe right and like because i feel like that's always been part of tobias too like mm-hmm. that he sees oh like we can be part of something bigger and we're doing mm-hmm. this really this right thing our cause is just right and so rachel can't give him can't give him that she's not yeah. offering him that here and so that's just as important to him carrying yeah. on mm-hmm. yeah that's actually the the chapter that I had bookmarked. Mm-hmm. Is the chapter with Elphegor's letter? Oh, I liked the romance chapter. I mean, I liked the other chapter yeah, too. I liked the romance chapter very much. It gave me butterflies. But the mm-hmm. the one that I flagged was the letter from Elphegor to Tobias. Yeah, I wonder well, how much you talked about like the noble sacrifice and uh, being part of the lineage. I think there's probably also a component of like, oh, I'm not completely human or I'm from this lineage of like this this person who became part human part Andalite who like lived this dual existence and I'm more at peace with it because Elfingor this hero who I already had in my mind as a hero was also this thing that's such a good point because my thought about that had actually been now he has a family Mm. Right, someone that he, like, he knows that someone loved to. him. He knows someone loved him, yeah. and so I had gone with that. But I love also the idea that he sees that connection with this father who also lived mm-hmm. in kind of a half state for a long time, and he's doing huh. what his father did. Like Rachel is sort of filling Lauren's role here, where like Rachel's like, "You can become human and be with me," and Tobias is like, "No, I have to choose the fight. This is a." duty and it's important and that's what that's what Elfingor did where he I mean didn't know he had a kid but you know he was married to Lauren and he realized he had to go back to the fight it's also really sweet how like this like secret inheritance trope where he's like the hidden prince or whatever (laughs) it's not it doesn't matter it's just like it makes him feel better (laughs) which is like a really sweet uh, send up of that trope, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like suddenly it's the burden it that he's transform this, his life. Right, right, right. Suddenly he has to carry on this quest. He's like, oh, actually, right. Yeah, he doesn't get a spaceship and like a secret <laughs> quest. He just gets. A yeah, he just more... gets the knowledge that you know his he, father was trying. His father cared about him. Yeah, his father wanted to be there to love him. That was really sweet when his when Elfingor is like, I can't tell you I love you because I don't know you, but know that I wanted to love you. Um, I know. So sweet. I'm still mad at the Elevist. Yeah, let's talk about that. So (laughs) when did Elfinger write this letter? Okay, wait. We know this, I think. Do we? I think. Because, okay. There's a time matrix involved, so... (laughs) It's somewhere in the lost five years, presumably. But But they're lost. uh, It's... So my theory was just that it's in that five-year time bubble that we, like, couldn't figure out where, that there were, like, there was a missing five years. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the five years somewhere. were an authorial mistake. Okay, well, then maybe but there are 13 years three, where, yeah. yeah, I think it was just during 13 okay, years. But, yeah, yeah, I was just What's thinking, like, it's just convenient that he doesn't think, I wonder if he'll ever get my letter, you know, <laughs> as he as he dies. And I was like, would it make sense for him to write it afterward? After he dies? No, <laughs> after the book ends, before he dies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Or, right. yeah, maybe there's some afterlife <laughs> stuff here. And... Final note. So then the Elvis taps him on the shoulder and be like, oh, Pissor 3 is about to eat you. Do you want to write a letter to your son? Right. So the Elmist could have written it. No. Yeah. No. He could have, though. Okay, he could have. But that would probably be too much interference. He's probably only allowed to let Elfingor leave a letter. 
Okay. Also, I hate that theory, so I'm just rejecting it right now. <laughs> that was the reaction. Why I would wanted. we assume I also the Elvis wrote it? <laughs> because he's a he's a tricky he's a tricky tricky guy. That doesn't seem like how he works. He's very much again. like, but the decision is yours. And I feel like he wouldn't be like, and now I'm going to write a letter and pretend it's from someone else. He Wah. says he says at the end he's like, message received, father, message received. And as we mm. know. Tobias goes on to lay the time matrix, which <laughs> contains the Elemist. So this is all part of the Elemist bringing about his own creation in the future by mm-hmm. manipulating mm-hmm. Tobias. Mm-hmm. But he just manipulated Tobias by getting Elfingor to write a letter during his lifetime. Right. This was probably... Oh, thank you. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. You know the thing where Ooh. the Elemist brings him away and then is like, by the way, you have a son. And Elfingor is like, what? You didn't tell me that? <laughs> He's like, wait. Oh, Yeah. He's going to really be suffering at this one moment of time. Do you want to write a letter to make him feel better? <laughs> and he was like, yes, after that I will stick my pen through your eye. <laughs> uh, Tobias has a similar thought where he says, uh, I had no doubt about who had erased Elfengor's life on Earth, who had allowed him to leave me that one short letter. Only the Elemist could have done it. And then just before the message received... Not because he's powerful, but because he's a jerk. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I wondered why the Elemist had allowed my father to leave that letter, but I didn't wonder for long. The answer was too simple. See, I had a duty too. And who is there to remind you that what you want for yourself is less important than doing what is necessary and right. Message received, father. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, message received from your dad, but mostly message received from the Elemist, who is and continues to be a real jerk. You know, I think my takeaway from... This series, the first time reading it, was like generally fond Elmist feelings. But I, I'm totally with Gray now. The Elmist is the worst. He's the worst. I'm not sure I'm like riding that train super hard yet. I mean, the thing where he pulls Elfinger away before he finds out he had a he was gonna have a child that was really the worst. Yes. Yeah. As are many of his decisions. <laughs> the whole idea of create, as much as I love Tobias, the whole idea of creating a universe the sole purpose of which is for Tobias to be conceived, is just gross. It's just like a gross idea. It's gross, and this book... He didn't create a whole universe. (laughs) He created a bubble. It's not a pocket universe. It is a pocket universe. It is a pocket universe. Yes. The Council of Anamorphology has spoken. This isn't a democracy where, like, if two of you agree, (laughs) that makes it true. It's like in Animorphs, where you can't ever come up with an absolute truth, where, like, the opposite is wrong. Like, there there can be multiple no, things coexisting. The Animorphs yeah. series can say that. But I don't have to agree. Some things are true. The Elemist is a jerk is true. And he created a pocket universe. Also true. <laughs> but, but within the same podcast, I can disagree and have that also be valid. It's valid. <laughs> Your opinions are valid. They may not be supported by fact, but they are <laughs> Still your opinion. No, so, so this, is, this is really great. I'm probably gonna cut all this. It's really great though. I feel like we haven't yet rolled around enough in the fact that Rachel confessed her romantic feelings to Tobias. Okay, we, I, know. I know. I really want to talk about the ending too. Well, before we leave the Tobias and Rachel thing, because it's so cute. It is really yeah. cute. Okay, let's go back to that and cut all of the body first. <laughs> so, what does this mean for their relationship? I don't because she doesn't make he doesn't make the decision that Rachel wants him to make right yeah he's still a bird and she's accepted that decision but also and it feels yeah i mean she's arguing for it pretty hard but it well, also let's talk feels... about her acceptance at the okay. end right so then we can see i think because i think it's sort of ambiguous the end yeah so she lives up to her promise to give tobias a birthday cake tobias he first reconciles 
his, um, you know, so he's he's learned about Elfangor. He decides that he's going to take back his meadow from the other hawk. Mm-hmm. And then that night I went to Rachel's room. She was asleep. She was ticked off when I woke <laughs> her up. But she rolled out of bed and put on a robe and told me she'd never get any sleep with some idiot bird coming in and out at all hours. Then she showed me the cake. She lit a candle and I blew it out by flapping my wing. Aww. Neither of us sang happy birthday, but she said it. Happy birthday, Tobias. It's a good... It's I a love very... poignant birthday cake moments. It, but it's very much like she doesn't get what she wants, right? And so, like, there isn't a lot... She's just being her normal cranky self, mm-hmm. but there's... I, I feel like there's... It's a really sweet moment, but there's also room for some distance here where it's like they haven't figured out what comes next for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And I guess that's what makes it poignant. Because there will be more Tobias books. We're going to have to talk about it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's... It hasn't all, like, wrapped up because they're fighting this war and he's still a bird. But, like, I don't know. I I don't know that this is justified, but I take her arguing for him to become a human as, like, she's sort of letting him see some of her desires and some of the things that she wants. But I think there's a part of her that recognizes... And this is totally not supported in the text of this chapter. Maybe it's just, like, from my general knowledge of Rachel's character, or maybe I'm just totally reading into it, that, like, recognizes that, like, okay, but maybe that's not really practical. Maybe I'm willing to admit it at night in a whisper to him that that's Mm. what I want. But she sees the other side of it also, especially after Arya turns out to be Fisser 3. Like, it's not really feasible for her, for Tobias to stay as a human and live where. Um, especially when there are controllers who know what he looks like and it's really dangerous. But, like, she was willing to admit these desires, but, like, understands that, like, the reasons against it. Like, I don't think she's just... I don't think she just wants him to be human and that's all she wants and he didn't do it and now she's mad and hiding her anger. Oh, yeah. Of course not. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's right. Because I think she was was being honest when she said, whatever you decide, come see me. Yeah, that she's like she's on like expressing the difficulty of their situation, mm-hmm. and she's willing to to push him in this one direction. I mean, she recognizes both sides of the difficulty. Yeah, there's also like maybe some symbolism with he talks about when he's decided he's going to be human, right? He's like, oh, it's a good day to be reborn. Yeah, because it's his birthday, right? And so yeah. this is like you know, now he knows the truth of his birth, <laughs> right? This is his first, like, real, real birthday. Oh, it is his first real birthday, because he didn't even know when his birthday was. We didn't mention that, but this is, like, a whole thing where he, I mean, he says he barely remembers his last name. He doesn't remember when his birthday is, and he's super embarrassed about it. And it's not just, there are a lot of things where, like, he's been a bird for a while, but this is also clearly, no one ever really celebrated his birthday. Right. Mm-hmm. And Rachel cares enough to look it up, or at least bully Marco. Bully Marco to do it. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, and then she, I mean, maybe that's why there's one candle. It's his first birthday. Oh. So um, one thing that uh, I couldn't figure out for my prediction was why there was a rabbit on the cover. And it turns out, that no, doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. It's fine. No, that's why it's Ted and I were metaphor. like, why is there a rabbit? It's just a metaphor. Um, but I mean, what is a metaphor if not for a rabbit? That was that was a great callback <laughs> and a stupid pun. <laughs> Both of those things. 
I'll take it. The fact that you're looking so proud of yourself. <laughs> That's true. Well Thank you for that. translating the expression of my face for the podcast listeners. It's very important. So proud of yourself. All right. So, so the rabbit's a metaphor. The rabbit is a metaphor. And uh, it, it starts with him. He's in competition with another hawk for control over this meadow. And in particular, in the meadow lives a family of rabbits. Three baby rabbits and a mama rabbit. And he points out in the first chapter, I think, yes, in the first chapter, that he needs to eat. It's a thing that hawks have to do. Mm -hmm. And that um, humans would be disgusted by the sight of my killing and eating a baby rabbit. They'd rather I at least go after the adult female. But they'd be wrong. Life in the Meadow isn't a Disney movie. If I killed the mother, the babies would all die. If I killed only the baby, the mother would survive to breed again. Breed more babies for me to take. Fine. I'm with you so far. And then at the end, what happens is he grabs the mom rabbit, he acquires her DNA, eats her, and then decides that he is going to be in charge of these baby rabbits. Yeah, that seems totally impractical. He's skunking it. But he's, like, he can't be a rabbit all the time. He didn't bring the others in to do it. He didn't use the mama rabbit to fight the other hawk, Mm -mm. like, in her morph, which is what I thought he was going to do. Because he talks earlier about how, like, rabbits can really, you know, pack a punch when they kick you. So, Mm -hmm. great. I thought he was going to do that. Nope. Um, There's nothing left for you in the meadow, he says to his brother. Are those the only animals in the meadow? These little ones are under my protection now. I killed to eat, but I didn't need to eat these little ones. These I would save. These little ones I could pity. That was the human thing to do. Yeah, that felt really, like, you know... Just phoning it in. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense. It also doesn't actually complete the metaphor. It's like, it's just very silly. Yeah, I'm sorry. I don't have a better perspective on it. Do you, Ted? Maybe he's just learning to empathize with the body of something he ate, like Visser 3 does. (laughs) (laughs) And that's the connection we're trying to... (laughs) No, I agree. It doesn't make any sense. That was the connection. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, it's also really weird because he has these... Weird, like, empathy visions where he swoops in and it's like, as if by magic, I was the bunny being attacked by myself. And then That was really he, weird. So then, at the end, when he acquires and eats the rabbit, he's acquiring and eating himself? Like, how long does his vision last? And I, he seems to, like, write it off as, like, oh, this is just I think it's just, like, brain. a blip of vision. Yeah, but it's written as, like, it's, like, actual, legit magic. Yes. It's, like, a weird element. Like, magic vision. or, like hallucinations, like, like some sort of symptom Jake's of psychosis. Jungle like, vision. Yeah. Like my note there yeah. was, tell the other animals. We met. We made this rule. Actually, you have weird yes. brain things. Go tell somebody oh, about it. it's the other timeline where Tobias is trapped as a bunny. It <laughs> <laughs> has children. Whoa. <laughs> well, that That's explains everything. That's an amazing AU. He is much less effective in the fight in that one. Do you think he decides to not let himself as a human? In, in that, that version, version, he's a Hufflepuff and not a Ravenclaw. Yes, that is true. Anyway. I, I don't think we can save the bunny thing. Okay. Yeah. There is a moment there where he says, that indelible memory of being the prey instead of the predator hung over me, shadowed my mind after he has this weird blip. And my note there was, this seems like probably foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's like the dreams that people have that like turn out to be weirdly prophetic, like Jake's dream where he's chasing Tom and then he's then he is Tom and... Yeah, this, it just, it really only works as if he hallucinated the whole thing, and it's just, like, his mind playing out something that hasn't actually happened, because... 
I those think, bunnies yeah. are going to die if this actually happened. I think this is this is a weak part of the book. There are a lot of other really great parts of the book. Yeah. I choose to ignore to this one. <laughs> we haven't talked about the free horticulture yet. Do That's we want to do that? the other thing I really want to bring up. Great. So, Tobias, I just want to say, when he reintroduces the Hork-Pajir, he's like, yeah, Hork-Pajir, not that bright. They look like a bunch of Teletubbies. Toby, the smart one, on the other hand. Toby had the kind of eyes that looked through you and made you feel like you needed to pull a robe on over your brain. I love that line, but also, do we know how old Toby is? Like, four months old. (laughs) (laughs) So... It's the smartest person in the world. <laughs> Just like Dak is like unbelievably smart in Hercules yes. Chronicles. Yeah. Sears, not messing around. Actually really, really smart. As infants. As infants. Just clarifying. Yeah, so Rachel says when she's like they're looking for Tobias, the lawyer's looking for Tobias, she's relating this whole thing. And um, she was saying Chapman was saying no one has seen him in months. So it hasn't even been a year. It's probably been close to a year at this point. But but they had a... I mean, it's like maybe six months since book 13. And Toby was conceived no no sooner than book 13. And ten books ago. Yes. Ten books ago is now a mature, talking person who goes into battle. And, like, is in charge of the battle plan. Yeah, this is like... This also, is she's really infant. smart. Yeah. <laughs> no, she's like actually good. She's better than uh, she's better than Jake at this stuff. She's better yeah. than Animorphs. She's better than Visser Three. I'm changing the segment of what would Gray do to what, what would, Toby would Toby do? do? Because what Toby would do is the correct decision almost all the time. She says, "Yurks expect a rescue mission or a raid. What do you want to do instead?" Jake asks. And Toby says, "Attack! Destroy the entire facility, even if it means destroying other Hork-Bajir, even if it means losing back." And everyone is shocked and appalled. How could she mm-hmm. said that? And Cassie says, "I thought the point was to save Beck." No, Toby said, "The point is to defeat the Yurks." Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. Well done, four she's, month old. Right. She's more ruthless, and she's like, "I'm willing to pay the price of having my fellow unfree Hork-Bajir die mm-hmm. if this means that we get to yeah. damage the Yurks." The other thing that I love is, so when Tobias comes by, he's like, oh, yeah, there's some more free Hork-Bajir, you know, and and Toby's like, yeah, well, you know, we've been going on secret raids and freeing them, and there's, like, a Yurk facility that we haven't told you about. Mm-hmm. And Tobias is like, wait, what? You're freeing other Hork-Bajir? I kind of thought the Elmist was just, like, freeing all you guys, <laughs> right? He's like, so he's still not taking them seriously enough, and the hork yeah. are like, it's not just that they've been liberated and they're this, like, helpless group and the Animorphs are supporting them. They're off doing their own thing. There's this whole side story where Toby is masterminding, you know, the rescue of mm-hmm. Hork-Bajir after Hork-Bajir. And, you know, they've only yeah. rescued maybe dozens, but still they're being super successful. And with the stakes being just as high as what the Animorphs are doing, right? So it's, yeah. like, at a baseline just as impressive. And they don't even have, like, the morphing capabilities, right? And you know how we told you you would never find out how there are other free Hork-Bajir in the valley? Keep lying to me. We guys. lied to you. Too much. And so then uh, Tobias is like, oh, well, like, you should tell us about the, the Yurk facility so we can, like, go and, like, <laughs> investigate and destroy it. And Toby is like, I'm not sure I want to do that. And Tobias is, like, at first kind of, like, offended, like, oh, like, we'll, you know, we rescued you. And, like, actually, you know, things aren't going to be that bad. And Toby's like, hold on. I've been through this before. You know, do you know? You understand. You've heard the story about what happened with the Andalites and the yeah. Yurks using us as, like, a tool in their war. We're not going to be a tool in the war between the humans and the Yurks. We're going to do our own thing. Yeah. So I get to make the calls about whether or not I'm going to clue you in on all of our intel. And like, mm-hmm. we're going to be coming to this as mutual, like, uh, 
you know, Toby and Jake can negotiate as allies, yeah. but Toby's not working for him. He's not her so like, prince. And what a good toddler. Yeah, she yeah. Is. And so all of that stuff just like comes into play here in an amazing way. Like Toby's suddenly one of the best minor characters in the series. Yeah, I love really her love very much. Wait, what if this is like doubling down on the whole like these thirteen year olds are saving the world? Like you, know, oh, you gotta give you gotta go credit. even younger. Yeah, you gotta go way younger. This four month old best strategist on the yeah. planet. We're gonna find out the Alamest is one month old. <laughs> Thirty seconds old. <laughs> he is constantly being born from the egg laid by Tobias. The other great thread with this sort of like Toby versus the Animorphs dynamic, which is like, they, they cooperate and it's awesome. Oh yeah, I should call out that the Animorphs leave Toby behind because she's too much, she's too important to risk yeah. in the, the mission to free Beck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that fight goes bad. We don't get to see it. But Toby leads a rescue mission to rescue all the Animorphs, right? Mm-hmm. So like also mm-hmm. very formidable tactically and able to, you know, make calls and like do stuff. And saves Tobias. She's the only one who yeah. sees where he falls and like, finds him and gives him to Rachel. There was a really sweet thing where um, Tobias is talking about Toby. She had seen me fall. She saved me. And when we were safe again, she handed me to Rachel. How did Toby know to give me to Rachel? I don't know. All I know is I was carried, bundled up in Rachel's arms till we made it back. That was just really sweet. Yeah. But also, I bet Rachel was like, give me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wonder I wonder how she knew. Rachel's like, I'm going to kill you if you don't give me Tobias right now. Yes, that is I definitely what happened. <laughs> So uh, there's this whole element where Tobias is kind of like, oh, yeah, well, you don't want to tell us the secret. That's cool, I guess. But, like, Jake will probably want to know. And then later he and Rachel are kind of openly talking about it. Beck has been taken by the Yerks, and they're worried about it. And Tobias is, is explaining to Rachel, oh, yeah, you know, Jake figures. Or Rachel's explaining Tobias. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Jake figures that they would have taken um, him to this facility the Free Horkbajir have been raiding as bait because they, they know the Free Horkbajir will want him back. So they're going to like set a trap, which is in fact the Yerk's plan. But Tobias thinks, at least that's what Jake wants to believe, uh, you know, Jared and Kat and Toby trusted me with that information about the facility. Maybe Jake's just looking for an excuse to squeeze the Horkbajir to reveal this place to us. And then Rachel looked at me like she was going to argue. Then she kind of laughed. Maybe. Jake has gotten more subtle. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that is... Uh, Which is an amazing acknowledgement yeah. mm-hmm. after their conversation in book 22. Yep. That Rachel's just, like, she doesn't quite come out and say this, but she's like, yeah, you know, Jake's kind of a manipulative guy, and I don't care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, it, I and think it, the it doesn't matter was about, like, we have to do the plan. That's probably what the Yorks are doing either way, regardless of Jake's motivations here. I don't think she's saying it doesn't matter if Jake is being manipulative. I think you can read it both ways. Because Tobias Tobias is like, oh, maybe he's looking for an excuse. And she's kind of like, oh, yeah. I I sort of read it as, even if he has gotten more subtle about being manipulative, it doesn't matter. Right? Mm -hmm. Like... I, I was thinking, like, that's no, her, I, like, steering the conversation back on track. That's a side point about Jake being subtle. Yeah. It's no, right. Like, she yeah. goes on to say, it doesn't matter. We don't have another lead. So you're probably right. Yeah. But that's the I read it the other way. Mm-hmm. It is a really interesting reading the other way. Anyway, it's just interesting. So, like, and then Jake approaches that later nego- negotiation a little bit carefully to not overplay his hand in terms of, like, he's he's aware that he doesn't want a strong arm Toby. And then he's surprised at how ruthless she is, right? So, like, mm-hmm. that conflict doesn't come to a head here. But I find it so interesting that their situation is just getting so much more complicated. And and that the Toby's looking out for 
what's going to happen to her people when the war ends in a way yeah. that the Animorphs aren't doing. Because they're just soldiers in it to win it. And they maybe have the illusion that they just go back to their normal lives. or they, you know, they, they don't really think about the ending. But mm-hmm. the Horkwajir have nothing. They're starting from scratch. And Toby yeah. is so like protective of this idea that like we have to be able to fend for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not going to depend on humanity to be like really gracious to us yeah, no because they have to fend for themselves not only during the war against the yurks but afterwards when she's looking right, ahead yeah. to if we do destroy the yurks what's going to happen to us which and makes sense right because they have like the future of the hork species as like a free species mm-hmm. whereas the animorphs are like yes we will spend ourselves for this mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean she she talks about it we we don't want the humans to put us in a zoo or we are grateful to the humans called Animorphs, but do you say we should trust all humans? And Tobias is like, yeah, that's no. a really good point. Yeah, yeah humans didn't, didn't exactly have an unblemished record of tolerance for different races. After all, before this valley had belonged to the hork it had probably been inhabited by Native Americans. Ah. Good point. Yeah, there's the thing later. Um, humans killed one another over skin color or eye shape or because they prayed differently to the same god. Hard to imagine humans welcoming seven-foot-tall goblins into the local Boy Scout troop when they couldn't even manage to tolerate some gay kid. Love that line. Which, incidentally, that was our idea for the hork sitcom. Uh, seven-foot-tall goblins in the local Boy Scout troop. There it is. <laughs> I mean, I'd watch it. Yeah, so I, this... This whole thing is very 90s to me in, mm-hmm. in the kind of, it, it sort of culturally. It yeah. feels very progressive in that it's like talking about like that we should all be tolerant of gay kids in 1998. Mm-hmm. But then it also feels very like 90s colorblindness. Like, oh, everyone's over that racism thing. Uh, and it comes up again when Rachel's like, only a moron would care about that. Yeah. In a way that is like just sort of in keeping with the, that's like part of the conception of the series is like, we're going to write about all these different aliens yeah. and we're going to use it as a metaphor for race, but we're going to pretend like race isn't really a problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I feel like Tobias's thoughts on it are like, oh, yeah, humans are bad about racism. Like, I feel like it's a little less of the colorblindness thing than Rachel saying only a moron would care about. That's it. true. It's better than not. It's better than not calling out about it at all. Calling yeah. it out at all. But mm-hmm. this is the the only time that Cassie and Jake's. Race so far, has come far, up in the terms yeah. of their relationship, yeah, and it's in order for Rachel to say only a moron would care about that, yeah. which is like, but nice, it is but more very of, naive, more of an acknowledgement of like, oh, that's sort of a like thing that could be an obstacle to their relationship. Like we haven't seen anything like that, mm-hmm. right. but you're right that she does shoot it down in a way that is very thirteen year old in late nineties, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So uh, good to mention. Not optimistic. We will see more complex thoughts on this from the series, <laughs> but. We'll see. Hey, Gray's the one who makes the predictions. There are a lot of like really sweet like affirmations of connection in this book. And there's um Jarahami, like before Tobias leaves the valley the first time, says he lifted me up to his goblin face and said, Tobias ask the Horkbajir, Horkbajir give, always, forever, anything, even life. Jarahami never forget. Toby nodded her agreement. Well, what are you going to do? People like that you pretty much have to try and save. Just so nice. Like, such mm-hmm. a better view of the Horkbajir than we got in the entire Horkbajir Chronicles. Also, mm-hmm. it's I, this is why we love Tobias, because he's not like, of course I feel a more d- duty to support the free and the brave. He's just kind of like, yeah, it's no big deal to me, because what else are you going to do, right? Yeah. It's like so humble and nice about it. <laughs> Master of understatement. Can we talk about Shorms now? 
Oh, because yeah. Axe and Tobias don't get a lot of time in this book, but their mm-hmm. moments are so dear to me. Tobias is like moping out in the woods and Axe, you know, <laughs> shows up. His familiar thoughts speak voice and <laughs> Axe tries to lighten the mood. Tobias is like, hey, Axe man, what's up? And Axe says, up is the opposite of down. Although, of course, those terms are meaningless outside the context of a distinct localized gravity field. Okay. <laughs> was that funny? I was attempting a joke. Um, well, I'm probably not the guy to ask, I said evasively. <laughs> I love it so much. It's so sweet. Axe, like, he gets oh everything God. about humor. He just doesn't know how to do it <laughs> himself. He's so um, funny and yet has no idea how to wield humor. And then he he sees Tobias wallowing in self-pity later, right? So mm-hmm. he's like, oh, have you eaten? You can obviously tell that Tobias hasn't Aww. eaten. And Tobias thinks about lying, but he admits it, no. And Axe is like, well, is there insufficient prey? Mm-hmm. Tobias is like, yeah, and one too many predators. Yes, I saw the other member of your species. I have no species, I said. I'm a one-of-a-kind freak. Oh. Axe didn't have an answer for that. I don't think Andalites approve of self-pity or other pointless emotions like that. Ah. That's probably true, but I don't think that's true about Axe. I just think mm-hmm. he doesn't really know. Like, he's he's trying. I think he he's, probably doesn't he's know trying to deal with moment, it. Right? Yeah. And then Tobias, lets, the moment passes and he, he says, I sighed. Sorry, I'm hungry and in a bad mood. Hunger is distracting. Oh. Axe aloud. <laughs> Says the guy who can't help chasing after his cinnamons. I love it so much. I know. There's some more... Also, accent, he now knows that not only are they Shorms, but they're weird time uncles. <laughs> time uncle nephews. <laughs> well, I don't know if Axe knows yet. But Tobias knows. Tobias, Tobias knows. We learned that Axe has picked up nodding from humans. Mm-hmm. That was great. Axe had some really great moments with Cassie's science homework. They're all... Tobias is like, yeah, this is one of the weirdest episodes in Animorph's life where we're like, we're going to fight a battle later. And everyone sits down and gets their homework out. And Axe, Axe looked over Cassie's shoulder at her science textbook. But that's not true, he kept muttering. That's not at all how gravity works. <laughs> and then after, he's like, if you'd really like to understand the laws of motion as they apply at the quantum level and how they relate to both gravity and what we Andalites call the seventh force, then Cassie laughed and put a hand on Axe's arm. Axe, it must be hard not having anyone around to discuss things on your level. He looked disconcerted. I, no, it's not that, he said lamely. <laughs> So cute. It's just like, I, Cassie, it's like, it's so great. She's just like, I'm yeah. calling it out on how much of a jerk you sound. Like, this is, this is so stupid. But she does it in such a nicer way than Marco ever does. Like, Axe oh, never yeah. responds to Marco, like, shutting him down. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's actually, there's a lot of good Animorphs dynamic stuff where Tobias thinks about how the Animorphs would hypothetically help him if he asked for help. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, okay, Cassie would, like, want to know all the details about, like, you know, how... Aria was acting and how the lawyer was acting so that she could help understand. And Marco would talk about logistics and Rachel would be concerned, you know, like... Rachel would pace restlessly, angrily, looking for some way to make me safe. Right. Yeah. And so it's it's so good. Yeah. There's all this, like, Animorphs being their band of five. There were a few... um, Jake gets compared to Patton and to John Wayne Mm -hmm. by Marco in both cases, which was really great. Oh, one of my favorite Animorphs Dynamics thing. So Jake says, okay, we have to take that weapon and blow it up. Quiet and fast. We want to be in there before anyone has a chance to react. There was a moment of expectant silence. Then Marco said, Rachel, what's keeping you? Oh, I forgot, she said. And then in true Rachel style, she yelled, let's do it. (laughs) I loved that so much. That's amazing. And so that reminds me, Tobias has this great thought, like part of his fighting for a cause thing 
even before Tobias has found this like higher calling again that he's like mm-hmm. carrying on Elfangor's legacy, he starts thinking about how he's really in this fight for his friends, even yes. if he's full of self-loathing and kind of like he's not going to carry on for himself. He thinks, I guess it's true what they always say about combat soldiers. They may start out fighting for their country, but they end up fighting for the guy next to them in the foxhole. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he's thinking in this moment, like... Wait, I don't you care have about... to read the next paragraph. Oh, it's so good. Great. I didn't so much care about the fate of the human race at that moment. I wasn't human. I was a hawk. But I cared about Jake and Cassie and Marco and Axeman and Rachel. Always Rachel. Yeah. It's so good. Thank you. Yeah. And, <laughs> but it's it's so true that, like, when he's got nothing else, he at least has the others. And yeah. it's great that he gets more than that by the end of the book. But It's um, so great. Another cool thing about Tobias is he's a real smooth operator, both in the scene where he, like, puts on this tough kid persona and is Mm. like, where's my money? I'm out. Uh, (laughs) And in the scene where he's like, how am I going to break them out of this Rookbajir cage? Oh, wait, I will hawk walk um, out of the cage because a hawk can fit between the bars. Walk past a Rookbajir controller who doesn't... The the security protocols are terrible if they're like, oh, uh, a bird on the ground. That's not an Andalite bandit. Uh, And he he walks behind a shed, turns into a Horkbajir, and comes back. And he's like, hey, man, you know, they want to talk to you. Like, there's always a they. There's always a they. (laughs) The Horkbajir's like, oh, God, is Mr. Three here already? And Tobias just looks away for a second and then looks back. And he's like, give me the key. And the Horbizier runs off, scared out of his mind. He's like, okay, and then I just unlock the cage. Wait, I think this is confirmation that Mr. 3 uses gender-neutral pronouns. Why? There's always a there's they. Oh, there's... <laughs> they want to see you. They want to see you. Is Mr. 3 here already? <laughs> uh, I did particularly like the verb hawk-walked, which he uses mm. twice. Uh, no hauling in this, but there is... No hauling again. Wow. I hawk walked out the back. Scholastic has really cracked down on the hauling. Because it implies the word butt. <laughs> Sometimes they do haul butt textually. Yeah, it actually I know I'm saying we've been ass. we've been retreating oh, back from I the see. acknowledgement of <laughs> yeah. ass to butt to hauling to <laughs> no hauling. <laughs> this book is so good. It delivers mm-hmm. on I mean like the, the rabbit thing, sure. It's 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 actually the worst Tobias book if I was, was to rank them. I would yes. still say the other two I yes. like better. But it's still so good, and it has this amazing um, chaos of battle scene the first time they're rescuing mm-hmm. Beck. Like, mm-hmm. it just delivers on this. It, I think this was one of the ones, I think since Seven with Rachel and the Kendrona Tower, mm-hmm. where, like, it really gets into the heat of the moment, and Tobias is like, okay, so I've rescued the kid, but then he sees the different Animorphs and their morphs kind of, like, jump in and out. He gets shot. He sees there's a hole in his gut, but he doesn't feel it until a page later, and he starts getting weak, and he's like, it, it like, really captures the intensity of this moment, right? And it all culminates in him getting doused in viscer acid mm-hmm. and feeling like he was too weak or whatever, yeah. which is a little bit silly. But the way that that scene is written is so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And an interesting contrast to the final battle, where usually we get those incredible battle sequences, and instead it's Tobias on the ground, and then, like, the battle goes really poorly for his friends, but we don't see any of that. And that's so typical for a Tobias book. Yeah, Tobias in exactly. General. Yes. He almost always misses the final battle. He does. At one point he says, I'm going to go check in with Jake to see if there are any plans. Like, yeah, because Jake's not going to check in with you. <laughs> they can't, yeah. How are they going to find him? Tobias has there to There is this him. thing where he checks out with Jake, and Jake's like, Rachel wants to see you. Yeah, yeah that's kind of weird. Yeah, well, I guess he had been avoiding Rachel. Right. Um, but I also, I liked that 
I mean, Rachel was the one who had firsthand witnessed well, Chapman asking about him, but I also like that Jake was like, Rachel should talk to him about this. This isn't, this is not Rachel wants to see you. This is Rachel was just here, like cursing me out because she can't find Tobias, right? Like, <laughs> this is very much Jake trying to smooth things over. Okay, that makes more sense to me now. <laughs> Tobias hasn't come by in three days. Accurate. What's going on? I mean, she would never say that because she doesn't admit things about oh, the relationship to outside people. Can we go to 90s moments? I don't know yeah, if there are any to say that to you, but I have one. I have a few. I really loved. I have a couple. Marco's chat about um, <laughs> how it's like a video game yep. is great and so accurately 90s. Well done, Apple Grant. You must have played <laughs> video games in the 90s because he talks about Nintendo shooters. Do you want to read it? Are, well, it's great. I mean, sure. <laughs> Why not? We'll make the episode longer. Um, search Nintendo. Our lives have become Nintendo games, Marco went on, enjoying the sound of his own outrage. <laughs> We're always walking down some dark hallway with our blasters drawn, and there's an endless array of enemy guys. We blow them up, but they keep coming. When do we get to hit the pause button? When do we get to switch over to a nice, peaceful ribbon? When do we get to turn off the power and put down the joystick and just veg out with some HBO? When do, when do we get to shut you off, Rachel interrupted. When do we get to switch you off? <laughs> Yeah, and then he says, I always can annoy you, Rachel. Yeah, that's the um, part. Anyway, great. So this is a year after GoldenEye came out on the N64, which is the definitive first-person oh. shooter of its time. So, like, Nintendo shooters, it's like, Nintendo, that's not what they're kind of known for. But this is, like, the console of the era, the game of the era. Of course, they would all be playing GoldenEye. It's, like, a little generic. They must have known someone who had an N64 if they didn't have it themselves, the description. But then he's like, why don't we get to switch over to playing Riven, which was the sequel to the hit game Mist, and like oh. the best sort of like puzzle solving adventure game of like exploring a mysterious alien world of its time. And so Marco has really good taste in video games, very nice. period appropriate. I think Riven came out also like 97 or 98, so it's, I'm gonna check that right now. You know, it occurred um, to me to look up Riven, and I was like, no, Ted will know. <laughs> yeah, Riven also, so, so Goldeneye and Riven both came out in 1997. They were gamers. Uh, so yeah, they were clearly gamers. And, you know, to this day, those are still some of the, the best games. Oh, nice. That is a perfect 90s reference. Very good, Marco. Do you know what is not a 90s reference? Is what? what he says immediately before that whole rant about Nintendo. When do we get a vacation? I mean, Ben-Hur rowing that Roman galley <laughs> while the guy whipped him and the other guy banged on that big drum got more downtime than we do. Marco did not watch the movie Ben-Hur. Marco has not read the book Ben-Hur. What are you talking about? Yeah. This just doesn't make any sense. Nor have I. This was I, I this is like probably the extent of my knowledge about Ben-Hur. Is Marco dropping this reference? Isn't it? I did not know like it at the Anna time. Green Gables read it with like when she's in her classroom, isn't that what she's reading under the yeah, desk or something? I, I read the abridged version when I was his age, and oh, nice. even I would not have made that reference, because most <laughs> of it that I remember is about a chariot race, not about him being a slave. Interesting. Anyway. There was an Urkel reference. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's talk about that whole scene, and then we'll... Okay. It, this, is, right. this is a great scene. This is in the bit where they're talking about uh, Hork-Bajir versus humans or whatever, mm-hmm. and... Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's I, basically I Cassie versus everyone else about, like... So, Toby's, like... You know, a fool is strong so that other people will see. A wise person is strong for himself. The hork will be strong for the hork And Marco says, Toby, meet Rachel. You two can visit the psychiatrist together. She's right, Rachel said. Someone pushes you, you push back. Well, right. So this is in the context. Cassie's like, well, we just want to rescue Beck, right? Like, we don't need to destroy yeah. the facility. And Toby's like, no, we have to fight. And Cassie's like... But the Yerks won't respect that. They'll just come after you even harder, mm-hmm. right? Like, Cassie's looking to de-escalate, and Toby's like, you know, it doesn't matter what the consequences are. We have to do this, right? Yeah. We have to fight. We have to push. You push back, right? And then... 
And it is totally different from the Animorphs strategy. Like, the Animorphs don't care what the Yurks think of them. Right. Like, they aren't like, yeah, the the Animorphs need to be strong for the Animorphs for the future. Like, they just don't have, like, they're like, no, we need to figure out how to survive and how to take out the Yurks. Right. Right. So Rachel's like, you push, you get pushed, you push back, you have to make the other side pay a price. Cassie says, well, that's like a rationalization for gang warfare. And then Rachel's like, World War II. What about World War II? The Nazis push you, push back, and if you don't, they'll kill you. And then Cassie says, Northern Ireland? The Middle East? And before we can, we can ask Apple Grant to actually get into the issues that are raised here, Marco says, They send one of yours to the hospital. You send one of theirs to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. I'm so glad you read that. Everything. Um, yeah. and Cassie and Rachel like, both just stared at him. Sean Connery in The Untouchables. Come on, don't you people have cable? Not everyone has DVR, Marco. <laughs> um, and then Cassie's like, oh, I thought you were doing Urkel. Which, I can't do a good Urkel voice off the top of my head, but it is not at all a Sean Connery voice. <laughs> Marco is Urkel, Rachel said. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's... Yeah, it's great. Great 90s reference. What do you think of um, their brief foray into the history of human conflict here. I mean, this is, this is like the theme of, I mean, the series has a lot of themes, but this is, this is what we were talking about. It's like, when do you make the like sort of out there, hopeful, peaceful choice? And when do you push back and, you know, it's the saint versus savage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're just encapsulating the two sides here. They just kind of hit us with it briefly and then move on. Yeah. I mean, also, so when did this one come out? 98. Okay, well, you know what happened in 98? The Peace Accords in Northern Ireland. Oh. Yeah, it was 98. I mean, yeah. I, I, I remember watching it uh, on the news in Dublin. Um, it, was, it was Good Friday in 98. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway. I guess this is also this is also very nineties in a way, not just that that's topical, but it's it's pre nine eleven, it's pre like clash of civilizations thinking, it's pre like mm. like this is very much the animorphs are living at the end of history in the way that they think about it. Yes, um, right. Yeah. They don't have the perspective to think of themselves as a terrorist cell, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The nineties were a different time. Um, other nineties references. Uh, he finds a quarter for the phone. Aww. Related to that, he calls the hotel, finds out what room she's in. <laughs> yeah. Hotels don't do that. Did they do that in the 90s? Maybe they did. Good point. Good point. I was trying to think of the Teletubbies. Oh, the Teletubbies. Which, That's by the right. way, of all of the things to compare a seven-foot-tall goblin with blades all over it to, a round, fluffy, felt creature with a television in its stomach. Not what I would have chosen. <laughs> no. It's... It's not the most complimentary comparison, but maybe he's trying to bring out the, like, sort of peaceful, friendly nature. I assume, but, yeah. yeah. This book also has the ultimate involuntary combatants moment, when Tobias gets to meet a hork who used to be a controller that he scarred in the oh, first book of the yeah. series, right? I love it. And this is, this is actually the thing that really catalyzes his, like, his thinking about this, like, human versus hawk, like, uh-huh. who are the real animals, right? Uh, but so they they have actually, so when they're going on this fight, the Animorphs bring an auxiliary group of soldiers. They bring mm-hmm. ten hork with them, which is, like, yeah. also really cool that they're oh, yeah. making use of this resource, right? So they have more to work with, even though it doesn't go so hot, apparently. But a hork comes up to him and says, I fight you. 
What? In Yerkpool, before. I fight you. He grinned and pointed to a nasty scar across his left eye. Then he pantomimed a bird coming down and raking his face with its talons. Faltagut say, ah, <laughs> I did that? I'm sorry. No sorry. Faltagut not free. He tapped his head with one long claw. Faltagut have Yerk. Now free. Good. Horkpajir and humans friends, Toby say. It was a long speech for a Horkpajir. <laughs> Faltagut seemed worn out by it. And then he, he goes on and then like he starts thinking like, yeah, humans haven't had this. This is like humans haven't had the greatest track record about respecting diversity and stuff. You know, push, push back. It's the only way. Right. And then he has this thought here where he's like, actually, there is another way, which is like, don't push to begin with. Don't yeah. start things out. And like, yeah. that's what Tobias wants to be. And that's why he, he struggles yeah. so much being a hawk. Right. And then he has this reconciliation where he's like, OK, but, you know, if you never push, then you get pushed around by like the Visser Threes and Davids of the world. And, yeah. you know, uh, you're just going to have to always sink to their level. So what is it? It's a choice. You always have to make the choice. There's balance. Yeah. Right. That's really great. Um, but it's, you know, again, in this book, Tobias cuts off the fingers of a human controller and makes some crack about it and then doesn't mm-hmm. think about the fact mm-hmm. that they might win the war one day. And this is like part of part of the casualties of war. Right. And then, but here he is. We've talked about like, oh, the Hork-Bajir keep dying and the Enormous don't care about them that much. Yeah. They've certainly gotten a lot better. But I just I love that they they took this moment to pause and say, here is a specific person that you thought of as an yeah. inhuman monster in the first book. Who has survived and and been freed and like is better for like the war effort, but like there was a there was a cost, right? And think about yeah. all the people who didn't make it. The yeah. controller losing two of the fingers says the controller would now have a hard time counting past eight on his fingers. Such a flippant way of saying it's it. So flippant. And my thought there was, you know, these are not cops. This is not the army. This is like some controller from the sharing whose afternoon plans for the weekend were Visser 3 told me to go and stand Mm -hmm. guard in some putt-putt golf place. And can you imagine being a controller, you know, having this assignment and then you have to go back to work on Monday Mm -hmm. missing two fingers? What if your job required typing or something that you needed those fingers for? Like, what do you say to your coworkers? Right. Yeah, we haven't had Rachel's friend, Belissa, be like, oh, I have to transfer schools because my parents lost their jobs because they were in this freak accident with some zoo animals. And, (laughs) you know, and now I'm never going to see you again. Right. Like, hit a secret service agent with my car. Yeah. It's a small town in some ways, but the Animorphs certainly haven't faced the like human cost equivalent of what's happening. They're wiping out a significant percentage of the population. Like, even if it's just, you know, 20 people so far. A small town in Southern California has lost 20 people in six months this to freak accidents. This town is very ambiguously, like, sometimes it's a city. <laughs> sure. But it's San Diego. San Diego has mm, lost, yeah. you know, 25 right. people in six and months even, to zoo animals. Right. And, and even if it's not, like, it's, it does sound, kind of seem like whenever there are shock troops, they're, like, killing the hork and only dismembering and maiming the humans. Yay. But I, I think I think they're trying to say that that's really different but not really facing the cost yeah. that that yeah is and really it's also on. not that different because now we know Horkbajir and we yeah. know that they oh yeah of course yeah. of course but like it's, yeah. they're actually it's weird that they're spending so much time on the yeah. Horkbajir and not the humans I'm just saying OSHA is going to come and give some citations to this whole town <laughs> oh, but they have and people keep losing fingers they'll just infest OSHA it'll be terrible all right. Okay. How are we doing? Do we have other um, things? That was most of my That's That's about it. All right. Uh, I'm so excited for the, the next book, Greg. I'm so excited for this prediction. <laughs> You're going to get it spot on. There's no way you'll miss this one. 
Gray's gonna get it. I know. I know. I just. I just know she's gonna get it. She's gonna see the animal. And she's gonna know exactly. They're gonna exactly go back to Lyra. That's my prediction. Okay. Cannot confirm or deny. The suspicion. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> please. I can't please. wait for her to be a hundred percent accurate about Ugh. this. Right. What is it? What is it? It's a Cassie book. She's morphing into an anteater. Uh huh. Um, I don't know the different kinds of anteaters, but it's the stripy one, not the one with the armor. I didn't know that. Yeah. Right? Are you thinking of an armadillo? Yeah. No, isn't there a spiny anteater? You know? Possibly. I'm going to take your word for it. All right. She's morphing into an anteater, and as per usual, the pictures are real gross. Okay. Uh, I'm guessing it's a giant anteater, which, by the way, get up to 90 pounds. That's interesting. Oh, um, okay. Cool. So, um... What's the, oh, the words? Uh, yeah, the context is, uh, what counts is on the inside most of the time, dot, dot, dot. Hmm. Suspicion. This feels like one of those fear has a new name cut text where it's just like we are being on- ominous. Yeah, I want to see where it time goes for go. a change. Great goes with it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So, uh, ant eaters, um, you might need um, if there are a bunch of ants around you have to eat. So, okay. So maybe one of the maybe like Marco. I'm gonna guess Marco gets stuck in an ant. Uh, ant thing hill anthill and cassie has to work an anteater so that she can get him out she oh. like puts her tongue down you know and he climbs on her tongue and then that's how he gets out okay and uh that's good i thought you were gonna say he got stuck in ant morph which yeah no yeah, why is Mar- why is marco facing this yeah so um he is i don't know being held hostage by other ants no so okay. maybe the Yurks have infested the ants because you did predict that the Yurks would infest bugs next. Yeah, they haven't gotten there yet. Um, okay. okay, so um, they're uh, uh, whatever. It's gonna be another Yurk pull one. They're suspicious of somebody. They follow them. They're a controller. Uh huh. There's an ant. Cassie has to morph an ant eater in order to to get the ant out, and then they all go to Lyra. <laughs> You've nailed it. 100% correct, just like we thought. You know what? I did really well on the last one. I'm counting that my win for the next 10 books. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're totally good. Right. You're right. You've got the, the anteater is a very specific tool for a very specific problem. That is about the extent to which... <laughs> Your prediction has been logged. <laughs> You're good. You don't have to figure out anything else. I, I got nothing. I don't know. All right. Well, I can't wait to read more about it. I know. Poor Marco. Held hostage by ants. It's going to be rough. Poor guy. Okay. Do you have to say anything else to wrap it up? Next time on Animorphology. <laughs> the suspicion. Wait. I just want... I just have to... Okay. What does the word Helmicron mean? Helmicron. <laughs> I love the next book so much. <laughs> oh, good. Maybe it'll be a goofy one. I love the goofy ones. I don't know why we make you think that. <laughs> Helmicron. Helmicron's a very serious thing. Is it a new kind of alien? Yeah, it's a new kind of alien. All right. What kind of alien? Ones that look like, um, you know, in, um, what's the Mel Brooks version of Star Wars? Spaceballs. Space <laughs> you know the ones in Spaceballs where they have, like, giant helmets? That's what they look like. All right. Homocrons. I'm so excited to meet these homocrons. Next time, this is Fishing (laughs) Anamorphology. If you want to find us, we are at anamorphology.com and at anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Anamorphs ebooks on our website. 
We're just the Marco to your Rachel. Or the Rachel to your Marco. I think we're you're the, the Rachel you're to, the to, Rachel to, to your Rachel. 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 I'm definitely the Marco in the fun department here. <laughs>